Boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen, lots and lassies, those don't subscribe to agenda, and everyone who survived the apocalypse, welcome to Bang Talks The Last of Us. This is a Last of Us review podcast. We are on episode six of season one of Last of Us. Spencer, what'd you think of episode six? Second favorite episode of the season. Whoa, coming out hot. Spencer liked it. Okay, tell me more. I loved it. I thought it was well acted. I thought it was well paced. I thought it hit some good moments. I thought it emphasized the key themes of the show. I thought it, you know, particularly, it gave the actors a lot of range and a lot of room to show their chops. And I thought they all did great with it. So, yeah, from start to finish, I was engaged and I was enjoying. Yeah, this has been a really fun show because I established early on that I don't like the concept. I'm not going to like <laughs> the show. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then the show has done everything to claw that back for me like it's like done everything possible to make me enjoy it despite the fact i don't like the premise right and did this episode do the same wonderful episode yeah absolutely great television um yeah it was really good i mean the the, first off there wasn't one infected person there was no zombies this whole time i like Mm -hmm. that and it's it focuses on the interpersonal which is where this story is so strong which Mm -hmm. is really kind of shocking because i think the casual person might expect the opposite from a video game adaptation. They might expect that character development, interpersonal, you know, storylines, plot is not necessarily the driver. Instead, it would be the point A to point B, the shooting of the zombies, the, the gameplay, the action. Exactly. That's kind of what somebody who doesn't play a lot of video games like myself thought going into this is that like the strength of it might be the battle of the bastards esque. Like we're just like finding our way through a sea of zombies and fighting and going the exact opposite has played out. The strength of this, the show by and large is the fact that I just really fucking care what happens to these people. And that's a testament to the storytelling. I think I strongly agree. I think it has been a stronger show as a result of the fact that like the set piece battles that we had in episode five were sudden and surprising were built up over time rather than something that we're seeing all the damn time. So they've become old. Focusing on the relationship, focusing on how the relationships are developing and building, focusing on us learning more about the characters and then learning more about each other. That's the real excitement. That's what really keeps us coming back week after week. And this episode was trending hard in that regard. It's such a flex on Walking Dead, too, right? Oh, uh, yeah. Because oh, it's yeah. so much better than that show that, like, it's it really puts it to shame. I mean, I, I don't think – I don't – I mean, maybe you can. I don't, I don't know. But I, I don't know how somebody watches this show and then goes back to The Walking Dead for a rewatch. I just, like, how can you look at that as anything other than JV? It, it'll be really interesting to see because so often after a show is successful, generates a good fan base, generates excellent critical word of mouth, a lot of copycats come out. Like, the Game of Thrones effect of worse. Game of Thrones come out and suddenly every single fantasy series that could possibly come out – Every single fantasy book that people had even vaguely noticed was all then licensed for a television show in a rapid period. Zombies have been popular for a ways. I think that popularity was declining a little bit. It'll be curious to see whether people see The Last of Us be successful and popular again, maybe even win some awards, and then try to do more zombie shows. I wonder whether they'll actually pick up what has made this show the more successful of its peers, though. Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, so, all right, here on Mango Talks The Last of Us, we have a format we have segment segments galore we start with recap with me i will go through beat by beat recap every week giving you an idea of exactly what happened in the episode spencer chimes in with witty anecdotes stories similes metaphors Mm -hmm. allusions and any other literary device he can concoct then we go to best line of the episode i and i alone am emperor best line of the episode however spencer every week gamely supplies me 
with nominees for best line of the episode. Then we will get to familial moment of the episode, which this episode's titled Ken. Like, it's a prolonged familial moment, really. Like, I, you know, it's funny. I didn't know much about this story. I didn't want to say much, basically anything about the story. We selected segments when we started. We really hit the nail on the head with familial moment of the episode. That's a great segment for this show. I think mm-hmm. they this continue to play different. on that theme. And then we will wrap it up with Spencer, who our in-house counsel will take over the segment and lead us through ethical questions of the week, which I'm sure have nothing to do with who you let in and out of your, your I, communist society. And I your commun- in no way have any intent of suggesting that there may be certain ethical issues with respect to leaving bodies as warnings about people to come to your community. So, so much so that you frighten thousand year old, old people that are living just outside it. Yeah. Where are they, where, where are they at by the way? Is it Jackson hole? Uh, it's named Jackson. The comparison to Jackson, Hole, Wyoming seems kind of, you know, ripe though. Yeah, I think they do the same thing in Jackson Hole now, don't they? They just leave bodies on the outside. All the all the, all, the would, all the people who couldn't afford the four hundred dollar a night hotel rooms, they just leave their bodies scattered on the street. I, I just assumed those people were killed by bison. Personally, that was my own experience of Jackson Hole. Let me tell you. Uh, let me tell you what Spencer would do with Jackson Hole. He'd be in the car. I have been. He, he would be in the car, and then I'd say, "Hey, man, you want to go to Jackson Hole?" And he'd be like, yeah, sure. And I'd look up the, like, just some very preliminary cost of it. Oh, yeah. yeah. And we would fly right by Jackson Hole. <laughs> we would just keep <laughs> on going. There is you, no way we're stopping. You, you'd say the figure, and I'd suddenly find, well, there's a Super 8 that's 100 miles that way. <laughs> let's, let, let's go with that. Yeah. Have you ever been to Kent? Let's go to Kent. Lovely Kent. Okay, they got a pool in the motel. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, we would never be going there. Uh, all right, let's get into the recap. So we start with previously on... A lot of the last episode, Sam getting sick, Ellie, a focus on the march forward, basically, the the path forward after that entire uh, sequence. This one's interesting. The last on blended into the start of the episodes. I think they even did Henry killing himself as like the actual start of the episode. I couldn't always tell whether that was the the last on or the start of this episode. Glad you brought that up. I, I felt like we had a previously on. And then we had no cold opening. We had the intro. And then what we had was a character flashback. I thought yes. this was Joel thinking about it, but it was a little abstract. I don't I don't think we really know for sure. I, I, I think it is something that is haunting both Joel and Ellie. Clearly, it was something that was very traumatic for them at the time. And even three months on, it is still resonating in their minds that they're going forward. All right. I was going to save this for the recap, but I'm just going to go ahead and, and say it now. So mm-hmm. just... I'm coming out. Please. This is my coming out party for everybody regarding The Last of Us. I adore Ellie. And if anybody has anything negative to say about Ellie, I don't want to fucking hear it. Like, I've reached Spencer (laughs) Rebecca levels with Lasso. Oh, sir. It has come this far. I mean, it's obviously not romantic, but, like, I love this little girl. Like, I love the character. I love how she's being played. I love her interactions. I, I believe she is, like, willing people in her life to things like she she's a force of nature shout out ellie round of applause from uncle lee fundamentally agree she's a wonderful character video game i think bella ramsey's doing great with the part and i love this episode emphasize that as much as she's a force of nature as much as she clearly is bonding great with joel as much as she motivates people to do things she's also a little bit feral oh yeah no sense of decorum or even respect for it and it makes just for hilarious scenes right and left it makes her more um, 
charming to me. I, yeah. I find I'm very charmed by it. I could see how people aren't, but like knowing what I know about her and her history and all of the things that she's dealt with, like the fact that she gets in that restaurant and she's just like, fuck this and fuck that. And what the fuck you looking at? And I'm like, that's that. She is awesome. She's the best. All yeah. right. So I just wanted to come out with that. So we start with Henry's suicide. I read that as a flashback. I think you can read whatever you'd like into it. Uh, then we see oh. three months later, it's snowing outside. We see a log cabin. <clears throat> Someone is walking in with two dead rabbits. Three, now, I think, actually. Three? Yeah. Well, there's only one way to to deal with braised conies, and that's mm. with potatoes. Potatoes. Um, mm. It's snowing outside. We see a log cabin. Um, and then we see this man come in with uh, who had these rabbits, and he's with his wife. We'll, I, we'll, I, we'll call him Graham Green going forward because it's the actor, and I love him. Graham Green, okay, and 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 the wife, I just uh, um, Elaine Mills, but whoever we want to call her, yeah, like everybody's like elite level tier grandmother figure. Like if we could have her as grandma, like it would be. Oh, she's wonderful. A plus plus. Um, so the wife, I don't know if you caught this, throws her eyes off to the side as he walks in mm-hmm. as an indication that someone's there. Mm-hmm. He looks at her. Then we hear Joel's voice. He got a gun out. He's telling the man to take his gun out of his pocket, two fingers, put it on the, put it on the table. He says, why didn't you shoot him? Well, the gun's <laughs> over there. Yeah. Wife says, gun's <laughs> over there. Good point. You know, yeah. that's a good, by the way, that's a good point about home, home invasions. Like I come from, I grew up in rural North Carolina and mm-hmm. I love rural North Carolina. Like I would never leave, I would never leave this state in part because I'm so charmed by rural North Carolina. Sure. However, I grew up with a lot of people who take a lot of pride of like, I am armed to the teeth in my house. And I'm always like, well, if you don't have it on your hip, when the guy walks in your house, what the hell the good is it going to do you wait, that you got 15 guns in your closet? <laughs> Honey, what's the lockbox code again? Like, what, what is this? Like, I have to be armed to the teeth. I have to have guns strapped under the table and all this. It's like, well, when you're sitting on your recliner, what is going to happen? Like, I, I never understood it. So this, that's what played out here. The gun was all the way over there. She makes a wonderful well, point. That, that, that chair also looked really comfy. That rocking chair that she was in. You can't get up from that and go get a gun. No, no, no. Now, this is Spencer being robbed here because, you know, he, she also makes him soup. Because why? It's cold out. It's cold. It's cold. It's cold. Well, you got you to gotta be a good host. I mean, they're in your home. Sure, they have guns, but they're in your house. Got to give them the food. What I, lo- I just love this woman because she just sussed out extremely quickly that Joel was a good guy. Right? Like, that's what happened here. Because she's like, he didn't hurt me. She's not threatened by Joel. No. She wants to just sit and chat with him. Like, she doesn't. I think that she read the room really well with Joel and Ellie is my, my take on that. I think she read perfectly. She's a wonderful character. The relationship that we'll just I mean, we'll call them by their actors' names. I don't think they ever give us the characters' names, but Elaine and Graham. The re- relationship Elaine and Graham have is like life goals. To be that kind of old couple that has that just clear love for each other, but just nonstop little poking sarcastic banter, that's something to aspire to. This is what I'm going to be when I'm 80 down on one of those little golf communities in Florida Very that, much your, that yes. your taxpayer dollars are funding right now. I'm going to be down there. <laughs> for the purpose of screwing <laughs> over Disney. This is true. Joel tells the man he's looking for his brother. Guy just goes, why well, ain't seen him? Joel gets irritated at that. Says, I haven't told you what he looks like. Looking thing like you a bit that I ain't seen him. The woman points out Joel has a girl with him. Ellie, just love her. She goes, can I come down? Joel says, no, no she comes down anyway. 
which gets a laugh out of the woman. The woman is immediately charmed by Ellie, as everyone mm-hmm. should. The man asks, who's this little psycho? Never mind her, Joel says. <laughs> Uh, so Joel then plays this little game with a guy where he's like, you need to tell me where we are on the map. He's like, if you have a map, why are you lost? Ellie with a banger of a line, potential line of the episode, must have missed all the street signs in the enormous fucking forest. Holy. <laughs> Joel will ask him to tell him where they are on the map. The answer better be the same as his wife. He just. Uh, this is a game Joel plays in the, <laughs> plays in the video game, too. It's. It can be rather tense. Here, it's perfectly. It seems perfectly pleasant. Yeah, the guy looks at his wife. Says, "You tell him the truth. You tell me the truth." He then points at the place on the map, and presumably, it's the same place his wife pointed to. Mm-hmm. Joe puts his gun back in the holster. Everything sort of calms down. He says, "Well, you found a great place to hide. I guess the man takes issue with the word hide. Says, "Wow, we were here before you were born, Sonny." So this was he was living this way before the world went to shit. More than twenty. What if if he literally? I mean, he has no idea how old Joe is, but. Sure, yeah. These guys could have been out here 50, 60 years. Who knows? See, that's why whenever I'm talking and bemoaning how this story starts, I always say we lost seven instead of eight billion people, right? Because I just assume that like throughout rural Russia, there's tons of people in these log cabins that are still alive out there doing the same thing. Yeah, exactly. Out there doing the same thing, right? So it's got to be like that in a lot of different places that are more rural in the world. Uh, Ellie then asks... Or the man says, listen, I didn't mean to upset you about your brother, sir, but the, the, you know, everything's calmed down at this point. He says, but you've come this far that you know what's out there. You seen Cody? Ellie says, yeah, but not close enough. They're swarming with infected. The man says, yeah, Laramie and Wind River Reservation. These are Native American reservations that have just gone to shit, apparently. Mm-hmm. Anywhere people used to be, you can't go, get there no more. I love that line. That, that sort of logic would work for me in this society. It's like, Wherever people used to be, we're not going to go there. I think that works pretty well. To put it in perspective, Laramie is the third largest city in Wyoming. I was curious. It has 32,000 people. Dear God, Wyoming. Yeah, Wyoming has one congressman, right? Yeah, it has one. Yeah, because that was, used to be Liz Cheney. Yeah, Wyoming has one congressman. <laughs> Meaning your congressional district? <laughs> think about how small the sliver it is on your map. That's all of Wyoming. I mean, it's, got a, it's a state of like 500,000 people. It's a roughly, roughly equal comparison. I know. I believe like AOC like actually represents like three apartment complexes in New York City. <laughs> and that's Probably, one, yes. one congressional district. That's all of Wyoming. Ellie asks, what about the fireflies? Oh, we get those in the summer. <laughs> Not the bugs, the people. They're a firefly people. Then they both start laughing. Having fun. They're just having a good time. They're enjoying their yeah. company. As you said, they read these guys right perfectly from the start. Now that they got the guns holstered, like, okay, now you came and your guns drawn. We're going to be snarky, but also have fun. Joel asked for advice on the best way west. Yeah, go east. (laughs) Good advice. (laughs) But you never go past the river here. What's past the river? The lady says, death. We've never seen who's out there, but we see the bodies they leave behind. Some infected, some not. If your brother's west of the river, he's gone. So in essence, what's happening is the society, the commune, the communists that we meet later that Tommy is involved with, whenever they find raiders, whenever people attack them or try to get past their wall without consent, they kill them and leave the bodies out there to rot. Yeah, they're they're going proper Vlad the Impaler about this. It's like, if you're going to kill somebody, leave a message to other people. I hope they're at least like severing the brainstem so that like, I don't know, there's no chance of like reanimation or something with the bodies. I don't know. But- 
again, I, I adhere to the view that they have to be alive to be infected, but I admit that it is within dispute, particularly within the context of the show. Yeah. Joel looks pretty sullen. Ellie says, you're not going to scare us. Ellie says, well, scared him. That's a theme of the episode is yes. that the first two, maybe two episodes of the show, Joel, maybe three, because it's it, the little bit that he's in episode three. It's the same way. Joel is presented as this hard exterior, gruff, super capable, you're not going to get through the hard exterior yeah. guy, and it changes in, so much. He was armored in his indifference, and now his problem is he cares. And the, the idea that he can lose something is just death to it. It's worse than death. You know what's so sad about that? Is that he didn't have that same fear, and he had a partner. He had Tess. It just shows how, like, I know he never loved her. Like, he clearly never loved her. And Tess, in her last moments, acknowledged that, that I never asked you to feel the way I felt. That makes it all the more painful, really. He still is, he still lost, he still is sad that he lost her. But we can see the difference between her and Ellie in terms of the emotional turmoil that he's going through and even the thought he may fail her. Yeah, I think that it was a lot of, um, perceived obligation with Tess at the mm. point of the story where we pick them up. I think he feels tr- genuine commitment and loyalty and love to Ellie in a way that you just didn't see. So like, I loved your, I love your point is that now we're seeing Joel scared of failing scared of not protecting this young girl. And it's a different Joel. I mean, we, as we see here, as they, you know, exit the room, he literally appears to have some version of a panic attack. It seems or it's heart palpitations. There's some physical expression of the stress he's going through. So I'm not so sure about that. Let's talk about this for a second because we see this, I think two or three times in the episode, at least once here and at least once in the reservation in Jackson. Mm -hmm. And I, all I connected this to what I talked about last episode, which is that we, we saw many moments in the first four or five episodes of Joel getting tired of Joel wearing down. Sure. We know he's, they've aged up the actor. Like he's a, he's in his like mid fifties or whatever. He's what the character is. Mm-hmm. I think he says like 57, I think one of these episodes, but yeah, he's de- so definitely sure. So surely he's, de- I know he's dealing with emotions, right? Like it, yeah. it, that comes out in his conversation with Tommy. But I also wonder if this is actually like a real physiological thing. He's, it's not just a mental issue. It's like his heart is, he's maybe in heart failure or something. He could, he could have a murmur. Who would know at this point? There's no doctor to check that shit. They right. can't put him on an EKG. Yeah, I I think he's actually got like a physical ailment related to his cardiovascular health. But I, I don't know. That's just my oh, guess. It, it's interesting. See, when he's talking later with Tommy, he expresses it in both ways. He expresses it that he isn't as physically capable as he once was. Right. But he also is emotionally struggling with a sense of uh, – with a, a haunting sense of failure just always being about him and fear associated with it. So I, I – why not column A and column B? At yeah, the I think time? they're both true. Yeah, that, that's that's where I'm gonna I'm gonna go. The rest of this episode, at least, going into the next episode, is that they're both true. That he's got he's physically starting to break down, which you do in your mid fifties. Like, <laughs> no shame in that. Sure. And he also he loves Ellie, and I think that he's struggling with the idea that he might not be the right person to protect her. So mm-hmm. when he does this, Ellie says, "No, no, no, hold on, hold on. Just a reminder: if you're dead, I'm fucked." <laughs> Joel Fair. says he's fine. He says it's the cold air. All of a sudden, Ellie obviously oh. doesn't believe that. Ellie marches ahead, says they need to go find Tommy and the Fireflies. All they have to do is cross the River of Death. What, what do you think about Ellie just grabbing one of the rabbits, by the way? Yeah, it's pretty funny. 
I figured you'd like that. You, you see, it, you, even Joel says, put that back, but she just yoinks it and keeps going. Yeah. Well, she's pretty, she's pretty feral. She's not, I made a Lord of the Ring reference earlier with the braised conies and the potatoes. She's not quite Gollum level. I don't think she's going to eat the thing raw. Uh, we do, th- we do see it spit roasted later, but uh, you know, it's, uh, it's funny when she steals the, the rabbit because it's the same thing as what Joel does with Tommy and the, one of the last scenes that, that couple would have given that girl a rabbit. Like she didn't have yeah. to steal the rabbit. <laughs> Matter of fact, they might, they might have known she took it. Like she might be sitting here saying, I stole it. And they're back home going, I'm glad we gave that rabbit to that young girl. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was, I'm glad she understood where we, where we were coming from. <laughs> so more than soup, they basically just, you know, now they give them a, you know, a, a burger for the road. Yeah. I mean, like those, those, I mean, I'm sure he, he hunts for more than just that particular night, mm-hmm. but at the same time, like he didn't, they don't need three rabbits for dinner. So he's probably fine with her taking one more on them marching in the snow. We see during the course of this travel, gorgeous shots of oh. rural Canada where they filmed this thing. This was really awesome. This episode more than any other felt like a Western in terms of the shots we're getting. It's filmed in Canada, but the fact that it's set in Wyoming, I was getting wonderful Shane vibes associated with this. There were some beautiful landscape shots. There was some beautiful imagery working in the sun. So many shots of people riding horses. It was great. I love Westerns. So Ellie looks at the river of death and makes fun of how not scary it is. Mm. Joel tells her not to start. It's too close to the night and, there's some caves along the river. We'll set up camp there and cross in the morning. Ellie says, good. She's starving. Should have stolen two rabbits. Feral Joel tells child. Her, Joel tells her they can get their own rabbits. You're going to teach me how? Joel says, just keep moving and off they go. I'm going to say that it's a 8.5 right now. 8.5. Yeah. That's a hell of a, that's far and away the highest starting point you've gotten for a score on their relationship in any episode to date. Yeah. We get to, we get to a, 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 completely maxed out level at the end. Um, God damn. Looking forward to it. So cuts of the night, they have a campfire. Joel is taping up his boots. So that's Joel's got a problem with one of his boots. He's trying to use a little duct tape to fix it. And they are roasting the rabbit. Joel tells Ellie to come down from some rocks. She said, it's very like dealing with kids. Come down from there. You're going to break your neck. He literally says that, doesn't he? (laughs) Yeah. You know, it's like, she's not, Like, I want to just wring Joel's neck at a certain point and be like, Joel, she's not off base for looking at you as a father figure. You fucking treat her like your daughter. I don't think he ever hasn't. Even when he was calling her cargo, he was still treating her as a father figure. Like, you you called him out, like, when they're in the car driving to KC. He's like, your cargo, whatever else. The moment they get in the wreck, he's immediately like, oh my god, are you okay? Check yourself. You any injuries, whatever else? There's never been a point of when he wasn't instinctually acting in the role of a father figure, even if he was emotionally repelling it. See, that's an Uncle Lee out there to the kids. If you're in a, any sort of relationship with someone, I'm not, it, it could be romantic. It could just be your friend or whatever. If you start treating them a certain way, eventually they're going to start acting in that role. Yeah. You've, you've set the vein for them to operate in. You're treating somebody like your daughter. Eventually they're going to start acting like your daughter, right? Uh, so she sits down and Joel's drinking. I presume this is some alcohol. Do you think this is something they may have picked up back at Bill's, or do you think this is some rot gut they picked up along the way? I have no idea. Like, how, I was very confused by how he would have alcohol. Maybe he got it from the couple? Possible. And maybe. they could be fermenting their own, maybe? We didn't see it. I mean, the last data point we saw of when they had, like, stores of alcohol to draw from was all the way back at Bill and Frank's. 
So maybe I don't think it would have lasted this for three months. I I don't think it would have lasted this long. I mean, you can't carry that much. I mean, who who can? Maybe he's truly just taking a sip a night. But even then, you think that would have been long since gone. Hmm. She asked for some. He says no, but she says just to warm up. And he finally relents and gives it to her. She takes a sip. Yep, still gross. So she's tried it before. She says, so I've been thinking, let's say we find the fireflies. It all works. They draw my blood, put up through their fancy machines and find a cure. What do we do? So she's playing the game. Mm-hmm. She's playing the, hey, if you had $10 million, do what, do you, what would you do? Right. Mm-hmm. Joel says, oh, so it's a we. This response, by the way, of Joel, when she says, what do we do? And he says, oh, so it's a, like he rejects the we. We know this hurts Ellie because she shared, she shared with Sam that her fundamental core fear belief or fundamental core fear being left alone. is being left alone. And like Joel is rejecting this concept that they're actually a unit. And I think that like, it's a, might be like a throwaway. It seemed like a throwaway line, but I think it kind of cuts Ellie a little bit when he says that. I mean, she, she, she almost tries like she hides how much it hurts her to us. Right. Degree. Exactly. Like, so she, she even goes, she's like, okay, fine whatever you it's like she's like retreating in a little bit it's like all right sure fine go on right but i do think that that hurt and i think that like joel is i'm not breaking new ground here but i'm not sure he's super socially perceptive because i don't (laughs) i think it would it it wouldn't have hurt him at all to just go along with the we thing so she could feel good even if he didn't believe that rejecting it outright is a cut to her but anyway she kind of rolls her eyes says okay fine whatever like you said spencer and then uh, she said you can do anything you want. Where do you go? What are you doing? So, Spencer, you have the world has ended. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You have the ability to get. Maybe you have a, a truck with a car battery that you just pulled together from a fridge in your buddy's house who has a little hideaway. <laughs> I, I pulled an encyclopedia on how to make a car battery. Got it's it going. It's pretty much an empty world at this point. You can, yeah. you can draw a parallel to, to last of us. What are you going to go do? Where are you going? Where are you, where are you hopping in that truck and going? And what are you going to do with the rest of your days? Do I know that Jackson, Wyoming ex- exists? Yeah. I'm going to Jackson, Wyoming and finding a way to get in there. And so you do want to be in a, com- you want to be in a community. You don't want to just go off, schluff off alone. Very much so. I want to be part of a community. I want to have that protection. I want to have that sense of people around me. I want to have that sense of purpose associated with that. Okay. So em- embrace the intercommunists that I've often flirted with. Hmm, I like it. So Joel said he would just find a ranch, be alone, be a sheep farmer. Asshole. What? Come on. Right back at you. Oh, I would probably already be on the council in Jackson. <laughs> Okay, truism right there. Yeah, you're like, one of the founders of the community. Yeah, like I live in systems. Like I, that's how I, I survive. Like when the world went to shit, the very first thing I would do would be to try to put up a wall around something so that I can establish a new government, a new way of life. Like let's let's sir. create a system and let's start living in that system and helping each other. That would be exactly sir, what I would default to. Sir, if I arrive in that community and I see you and I yell out your name like Joe yelled out Tommy, we are doing a hug in the center of that town. I don't care about your issues on hugging. I can I can do a hug in that particular situation that only. We'll only. make the hug happen. Only. Gotta be 7 billion people it dead. It literally needs to be the end of the damn world. <laughs> we haven't seen each other in months. Then you can get, dead. then I do it. Yes, I will do a brief hug. I'm holding um, you to this. You know this, right? 30 years <laughs> from now, 
fungal apocalypse, I'm getting that hug. Yeah, I'll do it. I'll do it then. Then and only then. No one, have, nowhere else. You have to do the dramatic yell, though. A dramatic yell, the kind of slow motion pacing will happen, yes. <laughs> so he says sheep farm. He's going to be a sheep farmer. She not says a, it's ro- she laughs. She says it's romantic. She says probably because she grew up in the QC, where behind you see the ocean, ahead of you use the wall. There's nowhere else to look but up. But she read all about astronauts in the school library, Buzz Aldrin, Neil Armstrong, Jim Lavelle. But you know who my favorite is? Joel correctly guesses I would have been able to do this too. Sally Ride, which she is 100% right. Sally Ride is the best astronaut name of all time. No questions about that. That's a that's an open and shut case. Shall we say Buzz Aldrin? At least number two, though. Buzz Aldrin is a is, is a, a badass name for an astronaut. As well. Hell, Neil Armstrong's a good one, but, I but think they nothing beats the guys Sally by Ride. their names. Honestly, they've got nothing great beats names. Sally Ride. Sally Ride's the best by far. Mm-hmm. Um, so she gets quiet. She's basically asking for some. Hey, she's like, hey, can I be a fourteen year old for a second? That's what I heard. And she says it'll work, right? The vaccine. Joel is again not giving her much comfort. Says it's a little late to be wondering. That was the most innocent I think Ellie has sounded in episodes. It's just that little almost quiet, it'll work, right? It is very much like you said, it is a child looking to be reassured by a parent. She explains she tried it with Sam. He started to get upset, but she just sort of, she knew he was going to get upset. So she sort of cut him off and says, oh, no, 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 I know, I know, I know. It was stupid. But I wanted to save him. And Joel like fell back against the rock when she said that. And Joel says, I reckon it's a lot more complicated than that. But then finally, Joel, yes. Two arms fist pumping. Finally reads the room and says. He engages. Marlene's a lot of things, but she's no fool. If she says they can do it, they can do it. Do you think Joel believes that? Or do you think he's trying to reassure Ellie? He's trying to reassure Ellie. I don't don't think he has that much faith in Marlene. No. He didn't even want Tommy, his brother, to go off with Marlene for like a little while. Like he didn't. He doesn't like her. Yeah, trust then, her. yeah he's, he's also very protective on people that he views as his and clearly doesn't want to share them because he starts treating uh, Maria a bit like Marlene this episode, too. Right. But if you if he thought that Marlene was so capable and knowledgeable, mm-hmm. he certainly wouldn't have been raising so much hell that Tommy went off with her. Right. He doesn't have the say. He, he's misrepresenting his faith in Marlene, I think, here to reassure her. So that she feels like, yeah, we, we are doing something good here. We have a purpose. I, I do fundamentally agree. That is the absolute main motivation for what he's doing here. I don't think – in his mind, it doesn't matter a damn what he actually feels. In this moment, Ellie needs to be reassured because she is a scared kid that needs that. See, that's probably the real answer. I like that better. That he, he, he probably doesn't really have much of an opinion on if Marlene knows what she's talking about or not. Mm-hmm. It's just he knows in this moment the thing in front of me is this girl. I'm going to tell her it's going to be okay. I don't, I'd almost say up until this moment, he probably didn't even think about it or care. But now that Ellie clearly does, maybe he cares a little bit more now. Well, he's very much like, a, I have my, I have my job. Mm-hmm. He's a contractor, right? Yeah. Like, my job Everybody is to lay contract. this pavement, right? I'm going to lay this pavement. If the house has foundational issues, not my job, right? Like, mm-hmm. He does his job and his job is to get her to the fireflies. Mm-hmm. It's not to game out if that's actually going to work and fix some humanity. That's up to other people. That's their job. His mm-hmm. job, deliver cargo, right? Agreed. Joel wakes up. He's sleeping with his right ear on the ground. Damn it, Joel. Damn it. Getting old. Getting old. He wakes up panicked. She tells him he still mumbles in his sleep. She says she he fell asleep. So she took second watch. So one thing I, I missed here in the recap is that she asked him, do you want first or second watch? He said, I'll take both, which is just stupid. It's mm-hmm. just stupid. It's just stupid. It's pride. 
Yeah. Um, it's pride and it's also protectiveness. What I think he really is putting her in the box of his daughter, like yeah. that she's a thing to be protected. And I do think that like what we've seen of Ellie and what we've seen of his daughter, there's some similarities enough there that Joel can certainly see, feel a similarity and a, mm-hmm. a familiarity, but they're very different people. And Ellie is pretty capable of keeping watch. I think like he's got, he, I think if I had anything, any cliff notes, if I was going to give any notes to Joel about how to improve his performance here in this episode, mm-hmm. it would be to have a little bit more faith in Ellie's abilities because i think she is capable of some things except maybe shooting well um for now for now. right but i mean you know i think in that situation it would be just a matter of making sure that joel got up if they were bum rushing them she could shoot enough to to stop the bum rush yeah and that that's that would be effective i think she's very capable of doing that and i also think that it would make ellie happy if he had that faith in her to say yeah you take second watch and before this episode is over, I think he does. I think oh, they're progress, yeah. progressing to that point. Yeah, because she's yeah. At the end, she says "gun." He goes, "Yeah, <laughs> yeah, pull it out." Uh, so Joel doesn't like this. He continues to tell her that she should have woken him up. You should have woken me up. To come to a beautiful shot of it snowing. It's absolutely it, man, gorgeous. Mm-hmm. It looks like it's morning too. It really looks like they just caught a really gorgeous winter morning of like snowfall. It was really I- great. I want stills from this episode, like on my wall, for how pretty of shots they pulled off for just the winter landscape that they filmed in. It's just gorgeous. We hear a gunshot. It's Joel. I think what he was trying to do was to see, that was like a gunshot to see if anybody was there. It, it, it was essentially ringing the dinner bell. If, if anybody comes, you know, but make the noise and take a good position associated with it. Well, and it's for infected, right? Because infected come toward the noise because they can okay. they can hear, they can't see, right? Yeah. Any category of infected would come towards the noise, yeah. But also, if there are other people on the other side of this river that are making examples of people that come into their territory, might stir the hive on border guards, too. Ellie says, river of death, still no people. They go walking through the woods, then up onto the bridge. Bridge has held up fairly well over the years. It's interesting to me what holds up and what doesn't. This bridge looks like it's brand new. Some of these office buildings look like they're 400 years old. I don't know what's going to collapse and what's not going to collapse. They didn't bomb the bridge. They bombed the office buildings. That's a a good in-world explanation. Eerie music is playing. More shots of them walking. As they are walking, she's trying to learn how to whistle. I got to tell you, I I wasn't born with the ability to whistle, Spencer. Uh, Whistling? I learned. Mm Mm-hmm. I learned how to whistle. I worked on it and worked on it and worked on it. And now a pretty good whistle. You can teach yourself to to whistle. I agree. I have still never effectively consistently learned how to do like the finger in mouth kind of whistling that she's trying to do. I can't do that. But I never had any desire to. I always wanted to whistle a tune. So Mm -hmm. I didn't, I was, I could see in this situation how you would want to do the the really loud one. the, The shrill signal kind of whistle. Don't know how to do that. Would like to learn at some point. And, you know, in school, there was always the one guy who could do that. Oh, you know? yeah. And did and, it a and, lot. And class is going haywire around you. And then the one guy goes, like, you know, the real loud and then, like, shuts everybody up. And mm-hmm. that, was, that, was, that, was, that was certainly a skill. Uh, Joel can do it. He says uh, it's talent <laughs> that allows yeah, him to do pure so. Talent. Pure talent. He's born with it. Um, she then says he should teach her how to hunt. Ellie then uses her patented Joel voice. To make fun of him. Oh, she's a girl. She can't handle it. Uh, he tells her she could handle the shooting, maybe not the dressing. Spencer uh, probably has an issue with that. She can't handle the shooting. It doesn't look like, right? 
Uh, not that we saw, no. But again, no one's bothered to teach her. She, of, of all the shots she's fired, she's had one hit. Immediately, it was incapacitating, but she was at close range. I think with training, she could accomplish almost anything. Dre- I, he, here's a question. Well, wait a Dre- second. Even that up-close shot, we both noticed she was shot a little low. She shot like, I want to hit Joel, too, through the through the guy as well, yeah. Yeah, she was shooting like like like, like lower back, basically. Do you think Ellie would actually have any problems with being taught how to dress an animal after they killed it? Absolutely not. Not a bit. No, I don't even think he should be squared. And that's a difference with his daughter because I think he's. Yeah. I think he's projecting. I think his daughter would have been like, "Dad, come on! Like, I'm not doing this." I think Ellie would say, "Yeah, let's just do it. Like, uh, let's let's string it up." She brings up a wonderful language point of where why isn't it called undressing rather than dressing? Why is it called dressing when you remove the guts from an animal? I don't know the answer to that. The questions kids ask. It's really, really great. Uh, I will say I'm a vegetarian. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't eat animals. I don't, I try not to eat anything that ever had consciousness. So I will eat things like an oyster, but like not like a fish, basically. Uh, did, you, or, did you ever go hunting as a kid in Eastern North Carolina? Oh yeah. Yeah. I did okay. for sure. Duck hunting, deer hunting. Those are the main two. Mm-hmm. I will say, I would just like to point out for all the people who I'm sure really care in this situation, yeah, I would eat meat for sure. Base no survival. problem. Not a problem. Uh, yeah, I, I, I have the luxury of not being able – not doing it now and it makes me feel good not to do it. Mm-hmm. In this situation, I'm dressing the damn rabbit. We're having some conies <laughs> for dinner. Trust me. Uh, they walk up to a dam. Damn. It's oh, pretty good. Did you, did you laugh? Did you laugh? Would you score that better than her? I didn't, it happened so fast I didn't catch it until he said, you're no Lil, Will Livingston. And mm. then I thought, oh, she was making a pun. I, it was like retroactive for me. <laughs> well done, Ellie. Well done. Who is? Who is? Who is a Will Livingston? Ellie speaking for all of us. Mm-hmm. She asked him if that made electricity. Him learning from the gasoline conversation two months ago goes, yeah, but don't ask me. I have no clue how. I have no idea. <laughs> It should have told them something, the fact that the, the water is still flowing through it, rather than the dam has failed or they shut the salute gates or something along those lines. In fact, water's flowing through it. Might have given them a little bit of hint that the turbines might still be going. She says he could have just made something up, and she would have believed him. We know that isn't true from the gas conversation last episode, right? Because, like, he did make something up, and she goes, oh, bullshit. Like, come on, Ellie. Can't have it both ways. Mm. Then Ellie asked Joel, is the body of water they are passing now is actually the river of death? And... I, my heart broke in this moment, right? Because Joel looks down at the map. It's clear he doesn't know. He doesn't know where they're at. He's having trouble reading the map and he panics. And then when he panics, a bunch of people on horses yeah. come around. And a beautiful shot too. As he's panicking, he's looking down. As he's walking over, he sits and pulls up the map with a hill behind them. And as he's looking at the map over the rise, like eight guys armed on horseback come charging down. He's doing his best, man, but... You know, he's not, he's just one guy. He's not perfect. Like it's, it's fucking hard to read some 20 year old map that was, that was made for roads. It wasn't even made for this type of travel and trying to parse out what is the body of water. These two elderly people were telling you about, you know, in sort of, you know, like almost like, um, mythic terms, no, you know, it's what, like to be a very difficult position he's been put in. Now, did you hope that it was Aomir and the Rohirrim that were riding into the scene right here? Absolutely, I did. Absolutely. I'm sorry to disappoint you, sir. The lights of Gondor have been lit and the men of Rohan will answer. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, these guys show up, tell 
Joel to drop his gun. Joel, doing the math, does in fact drop his gun, tells Ellie to take five steps back. It's interesting to me that even though these guys have guns pointed at them, they look very serious. They are very gruff indeed. Ellie does not move until Joel tells her to, that it's okay to move. That was an important showing of trust right there. For nope, he's the one I listen to, not you. Yeah, I mean, she's like, shoot me if you want to, but I'm gonna, I'm only listening to Joel. Mm-hmm. Which I'm gonna go ahead and use the L word. Ellie loves Joel. Like mm-hmm. they are, they are bonded. Like, and it's, it's awesome. Like, it's a really cool thing in this shit pot world that they're all left with. That these two are able to care about each other. I fucking love it. I think that's a great part. I mean, it's it's the driving force of the story. It's what I care about now, uh, now that Bill and Frank are gone. So how they've got them at gunpoint, they've dropped their guns. Out of five, how would you score the tension right here at this point in the conversation? Four. Four. It, it's heightened. It is under threat. Not active shooting, but we're getting close. But I think that Tommy's explanation later... It's probably true where Tommy says it's a lot of bark. Like I don't the after we see this society and we talk to Maria and we talk to Tommy and we see how they like, I don't think they really wanted to shoot them. I think it, it, it presents that way. It certainly does. It's supposed but to. Once, but, exactly. But once we learn more about them, I, I honestly don't think that was their end game. Right. I, I also do believe that if these guys were infected, they would have shot them down. Right. There yes, of course they would have. Yeah. That, well, that's that seems to be a general standing orders for like the last twenty years. Anybody yes. will do that as soon as you're affected. You get you get a bullet. That's and and it's all and 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 in their conversation because they're talking to them and they before they bring the dog out who can do apparently do the the, the testing for the mm-hmm. disease. He says, "This is your last chance for a bullet," and it's almost as if you were infected. Like a bullet is grace, a mercy. Yeah, it's almost like something to like. Okay, well, if you're, I'll do you this favor. If you, you know, if you, if you're, um, infected, because as we found out, bullets not that easy to get. They're, yeah. they're like one factory down in Atlanta making them. Yeah. I, I do love that dogs are just the universal readers of apocalyptic settings, be it terminators, be it fungal infected dogs are here to help you. And I can't tell. So the dog goes to Joel and clearly Joel is not infected. The jaw, the dog does growl at Ellie, but then approaches Ellie and ultimately does not spaz. And I can't tell. And I think it's kind of left up to us mm-hmm. to determine if that means the dog is better at reading the disease than the little handheld thing or worse. <laughs> it's one of the two. I mean, in some ways it's more accurate because if, if the objective is determining whether the person is a threat, it accurately read the situation. Better than the handheld thing would have done. Yes. It is still a very tense scene before then because Joel is going through the thought process of, oh shit, this may trigger. What do I do? There's nothing I can do. If I can flinch, I'm dead. He does nothing. He doesn't even say anything. Um, He dies internally. He's just, you know, these seconds are becoming hours as he's just waiting to see what happens. So the dog actually just starts playing with Ellie. Mm -hmm. And they sit down and play for a little while. He calls the the guy on the horseback, calls the dog back. He says, you just bought yourself 10 more seconds. What are you doing out here? Where did the dog come from exactly? Was it running alongside the horses yeah. or was it on the horses? No, it was absolutely running beside them. Yeah, okay. for sure. Now, that it's a little unrealistic in that dogs, I don't know if you've ever had a dog near horses, but dogs will not run that close to horses. No, they don't, they're freaked out. They don't, well, and, and also they're afraid to get kicked in the head. So yeah. they, they, that dog probably would run a good five, ten paces back from the horses and you'd be able to visually see it. Now, when they're, they're riding back into camp, I think they made a mistake there, right? Because they didn't have a dog trailing. So I think that's just a 
mistake in how they filmed this. I, I was expecting they clearly the, didn't kill the dog. They clearly didn't kill the dog. I was expecting, but I just looked carefully enough. I'd see somebody with like a dog backpack where the dog's just halfway strapped to somebody's back as they're riding about. But who knows? I guess that's a way to do it, but that's that's not a small dog. Um, no, it is not. So yeah. Uh, so then we have them. Ask Joel, what are you doing out here? Joel says, I am looking for my brother. And a woman comes up and says, what's his name? It's interesting. It's obviously Maria. And it would be, it, it all jives, right? Because Maria would be the one that would say, hold on, you know, my, my husband is looking for his brother too. What's his name? And he says, Tommy. And that buys them access to the camp. And in universe, universe also, she may also be seeing a little bit just physically of Tommy and Joel too. Given yeah. Brothers. Maybe. You know, I'm not good at that at all. I'm really not good at that. You know, like when people are like, oh, oh, are you related to so-and-so? You kind of look like, I can't fucking do that for the life of me. I have no hope there whatsoever. Some people seem like, I don't know if some people are just masters at it or whether everyone's just bluffing. Like, you know, obviously they wouldn't have said it beforehand, but now that they know it, oh yeah, you look like so-and-so. Just like to retroactively justify. I have no idea. It, It has never been something I could recognize. Let me tell you something, Spencer. You don't look a darn thing like your sister to me. Some it's people like, swear we look alike. You look like two complete. It. You look like almost different species. You do look <laughs> like your Fair. mother, though. You look like your mother. I will say that. I see okay. the resemblance there. Okay. Um, so, but I just established that I suck at this, so I don't even know. Why I, I'm I, I, I said I'm assuming you're bluffing. This is the, what I just established here. So they're let in, and man, it, it is a cool looking town. They, looks I mean, great. It, it looks yeah. like. Here's the question I have: Is that the the storefronts look freshly painted? How are they get in paint? They could Maybe be they, making their own paint. How do you make paint? It, 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 I mean, some paint can be just anything from like ground beetles to ground plants. There's anything, any number of things you can make paint from. I don't know where I thought paint came from. I just, I just got super. Did you notice what I just did? I just got super excited. Like, how can you make paint? I mean, paint's not coming from fucking outer space, Lee. Like, I mean, it, somebody's <laughs> making it. I don't know why I got so weird about it. <laughs> Any number of varieties of oils or minerals or everything else you can use to make paint out of. It's just you know knowing how to combine those together in a way that actually sticks for a while, so you don't have to replace it every few weeks. Yeah, I don't know. They got like, but they got like three hundred people in this town. Somebody might know how to make paint. It's really cool seems- to see the town. It also seems like they've got the resources that they've probably been raiding and scavenging far outside the city limits in terms of getting other resources and bringing them back. But they've, uh, this seems like the one main organized community that we've may exist in all of Wyoming. They've probably mined all of Wyoming and maybe some neighboring states to bring back resources for their community. Not too different than modern day Wyoming. One, one organized community is <laughs> pretty close, I think. Um, Keep, keeping things consistent. And music starts. And then we, the music is communicating hope to me. It's a, it's a hopeful music. And then we get the moment. Joel sees Tommy. She says, Tommy! Tommy runs toward him. They hug. Lots of emotion in that hug. A lot of love. Mm-hmm. Fuck you doing here? Joel with a really funny line says, I came here to save you, which is hilarious because he, he shows up with nothing on foot, you know, and Tommy's like living better than he was living back when they were in suburbia 20 years ago. Uh, it's hilarious. It, I, I love this moment. It's the most emotion we've seen out of Joel the entire damn season. Not the most emotion we will see out of him this episode, but at this point, it is re- remarkably heartfelt. It is just, it's delightful to see that kind of affection coming out of this guy and shared with another person. Wonderful little thing they threw in. Did you catch Ellie's reaction to t- Joel hugging Tommy? No, I actually didn't. How did she react? She looked a little jealous. Oh, look at that. 
<laughs> she just looked a little like irritated that he was showing that. Like, and I, it makes perfect sense yeah. that he, she would be frustrated. Like, oh, he's showing all this over the top emotion for this guy. I wish he would just like, you know, I don't know, give me a hug every once in a while or, or whatever she it, wants. I don't it, know what it is. It's also the jealousy, uh, the appropriate jealousy of a child that age. Yeah, she has. She doesn't have like the emotional maturity necessarily to go that. Oh, he can like more than one person. He can express that in more than one way. It's like no, 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 no. You're mine. You know, we we've been on the road three months together. There, no. I think it. I think it's a perfect little thing they threw in, and it's nice. very relatable to what like fourteen year olds would do in that situation. So, uh, Joel and Tommy laugh. Ellie um, staring at them. Cut to eating inside. What looks like a really big, like almost like a. What's that big celebration they do in Germany? Oh, Oktoberfest? It's like an Oktoberfest It looks tavern. like an Oktoberfest kind of hall, yeah. Yeah, like a big beer hall kind of is what they're in. Not enough the, beer there. The same lady, yeah, it doesn't look like they have a lot of beer. It does look like they're making their own whiskey, though. Mm. The same lady who asked what Joel's brother's name is, we learned this lady's name is Maria, so I'll go ahead and start calling her Maria, but we don't know that at this point. Tell her, hey, there's more food if you need it. Because they're starving. They are scarfing it. Did down. you see the food they were eating? Looked good. There's a pie. It, 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 they the, have a it, slice of pie. Th- this is proper civilization in a way I don't experience day to day now that these people are enjoying. This was this was fucking Bill level of civilization. I mean, they have hot water heaters for God's sakes. As Ellie expressed, you know, like I don't think I've ever had a meal this good before, or something like that. Actually. Yeah. Uh, Actually, I don't think I've ever had a proper meal. This is fucking amazing. Well said, this is Ellie. Fucking amazing. Joel seems embarrassed by that. Tells Ellie, my, "We're going to mind our manners." Like, still, <laughs> still treating her like a kid, right? Tommy and the lady are just looking back and forth at each other during this exchange. Tommy smiles. Ellie sees someone looking at her, a younger woman, and punks her. Complete punker. I mean, just hey, fuck you, looking at. It is literally that. It is literally like, hey, hey, we gonna start something? Hey, right here, hey, come on. What piece of me? Fuck you. I. Uh, who, All right, so other girl runs the hell 8. away. 8.5 with Joel and Ellie, right? Mm-hmm. Lee, Ellie, eleven. When she just starts, I maybe this, maybe I will change the course. Right, I don't have kids, but if I had a young girl who I'm sitting at dinner and she just goes, "Hey, what the fuck are you looking at?" Of course, I would say, "Hey, look, we don't talk to people that way. Like, you need to settle down. Like, we don't." Inside though, I'd be like, "I love her." <laughs> Fucking awesome. What? Meanwhile, <laughs> meanwhile, that girl who I'll just call Dina for the hell of it, uh, just immediately runs away. Just hell yeah. Runs exit stage left. It's like, <laughs> and it's crazy and it's, girl. I just was trying to see who you were. I'm sorry. So my question for you, do you think that's, she's threatened because it's another girl her age? Cause she didn't treat Sam that way. I think it's another girl her age and she has no idea how to interact with other girls or, or as we may get from what we saw in the trailer for the next episode, she does have experience in interacting with other girls and it's hostile. Yeah. So Ellie says, well, um, the lady says, hey, you know, she was probably just curious if you kids around here don't look or talk like you. Ellie says, well, maybe <laughs> I'll teach them. Maybe I'll teach them. Mm, bitch mm. like she's the bit you know like throwing in words he's gonna be a gang leader in this community they should be worried now ellie's the fucking best uh tommy seems to be getting a kick out of her she says she wants her gun back and the lady says well kids aren't normally armed in our community which whatever does kind of make a little bit of sense i have to grant maria that small point maybe you don't want to arm the kids to the teeth we are in a world of where Joel feels the need to intervene and be the diplomatic one. I know, That's it's the funny. state of this conversation. Tommy says that maybe the two of them got off on the wrong foot. He's trying to reset the conversation. Yeah. Ellie, well, she was going to have her guys kill us. 
Tommy explains they have to be real careful about who they let in, that it's all bark. This is the conversation I referenced earlier. They just want to scare off anyone who might be hurting them or might be wanting to hurt them. She said, well, you got a couple of 90 year olds shitting yourselves, shitting themselves out there. Ellie, just, please get dinner. <laughs> She's not wrong. She's no. absolutely right about this. You Why have, you, you have scared people that you don't even, like when you do this bullshit of, you know, the dead bodies just hanging out there, you don't even know who you're scaring. That's yeah. basically the point she's making and it's a fucking good one. Yeah, Shout out to is. Ellie for that. Uh, to, to which their explanation is interesting. Of where, those are the people who tried us. Maria, Maria is very much, she's not trying to sugarcoat this to any degree. Tommy is. Where she yes. says, those people tried us. Tommy says, a bad reputation doesn't mean you're bad. To which Maria says, not always at least. I think that it's all, that both of these things are true. I think right? both of these things are true. I think Tommy's trying to market this in the best light. Yes. He wants to welcome them to the community. Maria's not in yet. Maria wants to give them, from her perspective, the unvarnished picture. I think that Tommy lets, he explains it perfectly later on when he, in a later scene with Joel, when he says they're just very, very protective about their place. And, and I think that that's true. And she, and Maria has preconceived notions about Joel. Yeah. Joel says, Joel says they're just taking this all in. Ma'am, we're grateful for your hospitality and all, but it'd be nice if we have a moment here just for family. That's when Tommy reveals that he and Maria are together, an item, married. Um, Having a child. Yeah. I, I don't know. Letter. I don't know if these two people reject the notion and premise of marriage as a, as a, as an idea, like some people I know, but you know, I don't know. Maybe they maybe they actually get married there. I don't know. Maybe for going hippie commune style, maybe they're all married to each other. Really? Yeah. I wonder if you get tax breaks in this society for being married, like in our current society. Like I wonder if, wonder if there's like an economic reason for actually going through the process there. Would they pay taxes in a community where everyone owns yeah. everything? Absolutely. They have to pay taxes, of course. Is, is taxes labor or is it items? Who knows? I want to know more about this community. In-kind taxes. It, oh, man. Don't give Spencer that option. He'd be outside picking up trash off the side of the street if he could save a buck. Are you kidding me? In-kind taxes? That would be – look at your eyes getting big. You'd be so hyped for in-kind in taxes. I'm not sure whether you're going to welcome me into this community, but I will find a role. <laughs> I, meanwhile, meanwhile, I'm paying. I'm like, just take the money. Please don't bother me. I'm just going to sit and read this book. Please get away from me. Uh, so Ellie, though, switching to diplomat, they hear and Joel going back and forth. Ellie goes, oh, shit. Congrats. Joel says, Co Joel, Joel, congrats. Say congrats. Say congrats, Joel. Congrats. He doesn't seem very happy. Tommy then offers them a tour. Maria starts to explain the history of the place that they settled there seven years ago. That's very interesting to me because this is 20 years after the outbreak. What the fuck were these people doing for those 13 years is my but, question. And she says it was only a handful of them then that even settled. This wasn't like you know a vast community that was leaving like a falling QZ or something here. This is just a few people that established a community and then it has grown over the last seven years to, what did she say, over 300 people? Right. But these aren't all seven-year-olds, no. right? So like what were the – where were these people Surviving, in the difference between the – the QZs. Who knows? Two, from the 20 years to seven years or five or whatever, when they got to the society, where, where the fuck were they? What were they doing? That's, that's the story I want to know. Uh, that would be a delightful spinoff to find out how this community was established. There's already a gated community. They built the wall out from that. 
stops most of the raiding parties, but they still have some occasionally. And as we know, they leave the dead bodies out to rot. Heads on spikes. Heads on spikes. Mm-hmm. Little King Joffrey action. Spikes on walls. And you said... Heads, spikes and, and walls. And you said infected. Tommy says, yeah, there's some pockets that have escaped from the city. But with all this open country around here, it's just a dark shoot. He's getting really excited now. Tommy then gives some specs for his gun that I don't understand. And then he says he could hit them a half a mile out. I'll tell you this. That didn't sound right to me either. A half a mile out. I'm sure. I don't know. There's probably somebody listening here who claims to know a lot about guns and will tell me that it's possible to shoot somebody from a half a mile away. I find that very fucking hard to believe. It it is. But I'm totally with Joel here that Tommy's full of shit. To the point, I almost with, with, with I don't Joel, believe it. With Joel confronting him on that subject later, um, I, it almost puts a different spin on when Ellie asks here, "Can you teach me how?" And Joel says, "No, he can't." Maybe that wasn't just protectiveness. He was just already calling out Tommy about, "Dude, you cannot make that shot. I do not believe you." It's the type of thing where, like, I don't know anything about guns. I have no desire to know anything about guns. If somebody tells me I got all this blah 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 gun and I can shoot somebody from half a mile away, I'd say no, you can't. And they'd say, well, yeah, you can't. And then they'd probably like pull up something on the internet that says it's possible. And I'd say, okay, but I'm saying you can't. Yeah. <laughs> I was saying like, there's probably someone in the Pentagon who knows how to do this, but I don't think you can uh, shoot somebody from half a mile away. Uh, the current record is, uh, it's a sniper shot in Afghanistan held by a Canadian. He hit a target. He hit a guy at 3,800 yards. That's over two miles. It's approaching two, two and a quarter miles. Right. That's military. I'm sure they can do it. Sure. But, you know, Bob with the pot belly, who's 55 and has an affinity for handguns and goes to the pawn shop on the weekends, I don't believe he can hit something from half a mile away. I'm just not going to believe it. Do you believe that Tommy and his glorious hair could hit a target in a mile out? I do mile? not. Okay. Not at all. Good not talk. not remotely. You know who also I, can't, I think can't do it? Ellie. I, she's a bad shot, too. Joel? <laughs> got visual evidence of that. Joel? Joel, Joel, I don't know, but Joel yeah. would Joel would at least tell you he couldn't do it. He would Joel at least could, admit it. Joel could hit the H off an asshole. That that, that man can shoot. <laughs> Ellie asks if he could teach her, and Joel shuts that down. Joel asks how they keep the place quiet. Maria says carefully, says being in the middle of nowhere helps, but they have a society, basically, a church. And it was like multi-denominational, multi-faith or something kind of mm-hmm. church. It was basically like a one of these like Unitarian Universalist type deals. Like just show up and pray. Carl, We're not going to require anything of you. Karl Marx is rolling over in his grave. Uh, a school laundry. The old bank works as jail. And this is when she starts boasting a little bit as council member saying not that we need it. Basically, mm-hmm. we run our society so well. We don't even need a jail. No, and, we just do heads, spikes, and walls. Well, that's not part of their society. That's sure, people who yeah. tried them on the outside. That's different, right? I think she would probably delineate that. Joel pieces together that they draw power from the dam. Dam. Damn. Well says done. they got that working a couple of years ago after the sewage. After that, sewage, plumbing, water heaters. Gotta say, water heaters really fucking important where they're living. Water heaters nice. You know what? Always that's is huge. great. Even before that, I would say, though, community of 300 people, which is growing every day, sewage system, good thing to get that worked out. Cholera is not a great thing. Here's the thing, though. I don't really have – I don't believe that the water – they would have water heaters for everyone. No, probably not. Water heaters are finicky fucking things (laughs) that break down all the time and very often require specialized replacement tools that they would have no ability to make there. I think they'd be down to like – a hundred water heaters at this point. I don't think it'd be as, it would be that many. 
unless they are raiding water heater supply shops in other towns all throughout Wyoming, Idaho, Montana, altogether else, yeah, 20 years can be a long time for a water heater. She says, this place actually fucking works. She sees cheap. Says, hey, Joel, check it out. <laughs> she's just full of jokes. Oh, yeah. She asks Maria if she's in charge. Maria says, no one is in charge. She's in the council. Democratically elected, serving three. Roughly 300 people, including children. Everyone pitches in. They rotate patrols, food prep, repairs, hunting, harvesting. Maybe this answers your question from earlier, that part of their taxes is this sort of in-kind service to the mm -hmm. community. When she says 300, when she says serving 300, she means the entire council is serving 300, not that she's individually like representing 300, right? I think that the council is serving 300 people. So I'm picturing this town as like 300, 350 rather than like, you know, thousands from what we've seen of it and i don't and i don't think that they've broken it up into districts right like nah. so i don't i don't know tommy chimes in that everything they see in the town greenhouses livestock that's all shared collective ownership joel uh so communism huh joel knows that's a bad buzzword for joel or tommy knows that's a bad buzzword for joel and he tries to slough it off no nah, no nah, it ain't like that to which maria immediately intervenes and says no no it is literally that we are a commune we are communists to which Tom, Tommy and Joel, prop, proper Texans, Tommy being a veteran of the U.S. Armed Forces, that's a naughty word. We don't use that word. I'm going to tell you this. I know I'm breaking ground here. Mm -hmm. After the zombie apocalypse, totally fine with communism until the world gets back on its feet. <laughs> I can deal with communism if it gets me a hot water heater in when the entire fucking world has collapsed. When we deal with the cordyceps, the world starts getting back on its feet. We can read, we can start reading our Rousseau and our whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, Hobbes Lock. Uh, yeah, Hobbes Lock. We can start get, we can get back into our political science. We can figure out the best way to, to govern ourselves. But in the short term, little communism might not hurt. Hey, also small community like this, communism actually is a hope of working. But provided, provided, typically you've got an outside threat. The infected have made communism work. Look at that. Bringing people together. Mm. They go up to the horses and Ellie pets the newest addition. Tommy and Maria tell them that they're going to put them in the house across from them. Says it, yeah, it's nice. It's fine. You, you know, you could do worse. Ellie jokes that they have been doing worse, but Joel doesn't like that. We're doing fine. Strange reaction from Joel there, Spencer. Why do you think he got defensive in that moment about where they've been, what they've been doing? I think he is feeling a certain degree of challenged by Maria. I think in some ways he feels almost like he's competing for Tommy with Maria. And so the idea that she's kind of bragging to a certain degree with respect to all of this about well that she's doing, he's on the defense here about, you know, hey, I knew Tommy longer than you. I'm do I've been doing fine, too, as I've been going around as well. That's kind of what I picked up on it. This is a really off-putting thing from Joel. Because what Joel should be doing is going, Tommy, I'm so fucking happy for you. Like, mm -hmm. In the you world, the world has collapsed and you found paradise and not just that you found love and you're going to have a family. Like I, I know, I know it's not like, I don't like, it's okay that Joel has some of these hangups. He's humans as humans. We have hangups. That's okay. But he should be really happy for his brother here and he's not. And that's kind of a problem. And Tommy reads it, I think, correctly later that he is. It's just there is so much baggage and there's so much layers of just trauma and pain about Joel. You have to kind of read through all that to, re to recognize the core of, yeah, he's happy for you. He's just having to process that through a load of shit. I just want to grab Joel by the collar and say, Joel, scrap all the bullshit. What at your very core, what do you want for your brother? 
Well, I want him to be okay. I want him to be happy. Okay. Well, he's okay and he's happy. All right. He's found it. Be fucking happy. You should be skipping down the street for your brother here. We perceive the present through our history and in Joel's case through trauma as well, too. The last woman that took Tommy away was Marlene and that didn't work out well. He's, that's why he's it, looking at Maria through the same lens. That, I mean, that's why I said he's human as humans. We're not perfect. Right. But like, I, I think this might be a job for Ellie. Yeah. <laughs> I think Ellie should sit, sit Uncle Joel down and go, Hey, you love your brother, right? Well, it seems like he's doing a good job. How about you fucking high five him? Cause he's mm-hmm. found paradise. Cut to Tommy and Joel at a bar. There's a bar, Spencer with Probably ice. Bar. He's breaking up a block of ice. He's got some homemade bourbon that they've they've distilled there. He's sitting at a proper bar having they, a drink, they, an iced drink. Even before that, they had something resembling a petting zoo of when they got Ellie over to meet the little baby horse Shimmer. So, you know, it's a wonderful town they got here. It's unbelievable. Joel jokes about how Tommy doesn't age much. Tommy jokes back that Joel ages a lot. <laughs> yeah. They cheers. Tommy, thanks for still giving a shit about me. And they drink. So Tommy, Tommy's trying to rely back. He's trying to like pull out of Joel. Like, Hey, you love me, right? You like, you care that you, you fucking walked across the country for me to make sure I'm okay. Well, I am okay. Like mm-hmm. you're seeing I am okay. How about some reaction from that? Right. Tommy says he's working on raising some hogs too. Worked in a bacon joke. Once we get bacon, what's left? Society um, has returned at the point bacon is part of, bacon is back on the menu. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, yeah, I guess. Joel then leans back. Christmas trees and bacon. Pretty decent setup. <laughs> Tommy asks about Tess. Mm. Joel lies. Says Tess is fine. I suspect Tommy is suspecting that's not true too. I don't know if he caught Tommy's reaction when yeah. he knows his brother pretty well and I think he knows something's going on. Tommy asks about the kid. Joel says she's the daughter of some firefly muckety muck trying to find her family somewhere out here. I was heading this way. So Tommy just cut through the bullshit says, Really? Goodness of your heart, Joel goes, well, there is a payment. Why? <laughs> well, right, sure. Why do you think Joel was lying here on both of these points? Because he stupidly is becoming defensive about the society that Tommy has found himself. He's like being like, somehow, and it, this is really stupid, being like hypercritical of the place that he's found himself. Like, oh, she, your wife is controlling you and she's not letting mm-hmm. you get on the radio. And like, you know, you're in, you're in a communistic society and my old 25 year old politics like mm-hmm. has a problem with that. I think he's just being really dumb and crit- overly critical. And that critic, that criticality is like making him distrustful of his own brother in this moment, which is stupid. It's all just dumb. It, it very, very much is yes it's understandable yeah. but he's he's being defensive and dumb here yeah i think it's really really stupid but i think it's yeah i think he's just being you know and i think he did the same thing with bill to an extent right like he like bill had a little paradise and he still got there and he was critical and he it never seemed to cross his mind that maybe he'd just fucking stay there like and enjoy himself like these things just don't cross joel's mind it's it's very interesting so Joel says um, that uh, he, well, he wants to know where the fireflies might be. And Tommy tells them that they have a base down at the University of Eastern Colorado. Spencer, is the University of Eastern Colorado a real thing? I, I, I'm inclined to actually say no, but I'm going to Google it right now while I'm talking to you. So he says, I No, assume... it isn't. They made it up. Yeah, I thought so. 
But I assume that a university would not still be in business, but they would be potentially, the Fireflies might potentially be, be using the buildings, et cetera. Particularly the research lab, potentially. Tommy says it's a week's ride south. Tommy says it's severely fucked up between here and there. Joel says, well, it'd be easy for both of us, right? We'll saddle up and ride. Two brothers doing this. Back together again. Hombres, let's do it. Old times. Hell, yeah, especially since you can headshot and infect it half a mile away, which is bullshit, by the way. I agree, Joel. <laughs> Tommy says, I can't go. Joel says, I made it across the country. Two of us can't make it to Colorado. So he's already pulling out the... Like, this is Uncle Lee out there to the kids. This is problematic, right? When you do something for someone that they did not ask you to do. Yeah. And then you start using it against them. To ask for favors. To gain right. leverage. <laughs> It's like, Spencer, uh, I, we're going to see each other in a couple of months for a bachelor party. Yeah. If I just brought you a $2,000 pair of English leather shoes mm-hmm. that you did not ask for or want, mm-hmm. and then the third day there, I was like, well, I mean, I should be able to pick the restaurant, right? I brought you the shoes. Like, that's a <laughs> shitty thing to do. But that's what Joel is doing here. It is. And I, I don't think he's consciously necessarily doing that. I think he's just... You're my brother. I've got my brother back. Let's make it just like old times again. Right. He's emotionally, instinctually going back to a happy place because he wants that to always be what it was. As if no time has passed or no distance and other events have passed between them. And if his goal is to be connected with his brother, have a relationship with his brother, he's doing the one thing he can't do, which he's firmly inserting himself between his brother and and his wife, which is yeah. stupid. I say, what, your wife won't let you? Like, don't pick that fight. Like, don't do that at all. He's You're always going to lose to the woman. Like, <laughs> don't do that. Like, it's a, it's a dumb idea. I do think he is correct, though, when he says she's the one that got you to stop messaging me. Oh, of course. They, well, they said that Maria said that part of the way that they're able to stay safe there is they stay off the radio. So I think that part of Tommy's in, like entrance into the society, like the rules which Tommy references, they want me to be, they want me to follow their rules is that I stay off the radio, which by the way is not that, not that unreasonable. Like I don't know that I'd want him on a fucking hey, radio either. Frank might disagree. He's found a lovely lady on the radio that he's going to invite to a dinner party here soon. <laughs> I think Bill would be over here like, I told you, look, listen to these people. They know what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. God, Bill would be so into that community until we find out it was communist and then he would be out so damn hard. Yeah. Tommy says that they are good people. All they ask is that I follow their rules. Joel tries to play the brother card again, but Tommy moves right past that says, yeah, I know you're my brother. They're protective of this place for good fucking reason. I agree with that. Folks find out. We're up here and, you know, trouble happens. And then Joel jumps in. Yeah, I heard wrong people might show up. Is that what I am, Tommy? Wrong people. I can't, you know, and, and the actor, Pedro Pascal's acting this really well because he, yeah. he's starting to act a little drunk almost, which he would be, right? I mean, he's mm-hmm. not going to have a very high tolerance. Um, and he's sitting here drinking straight whiskey. So he's kind of acting a little off kilter a little. Joel then says, the things he did, the things you judge me for, Tommy, I did those things to keep us alive. Tommy says, we did those things and they weren't things. We murdered people and I don't judge you for them. We survived the only way we knew how, but there were other ways. We just weren't any good at them. I love that line. I love that perspective about, yeah, we did what we need to survive, but let's not think for a half second that that was the only option. Let's not think that, you know, 
we did that because that was the that was what was easiest. That's what we needed to the immediate sense. But we always had a choice. Joel asked if Tommy said. Joel says if Tommy only knew the shit he'd been through trying to find him the last three months. Tommy then blurts out, kind of cuts him off, and just goes, "I'm going to be a father." Joel looks at him, absolutely no emotion. No, Tommy says, "Stone-faced." Got to be more episode careful. One, Joel again. He says, "I got to be more careful." To be honest, I'm scared to death, but. I feel like I'd be a good dad. Joel's still no emotion, grabs a bottle, pours another, and says, I guess we'll find out. Tommy doesn't like this reaction. He's upset about it. Spencer, why do you think Joel reacts this way? I mean, A, it's a further indication that things weren't like what they once were. B, it's something, again, that is separating Tommy from him and further binding him to a community that he's not comfortable with and doesn't understand yet and is instinctually recoiling against. C, it's fatherhood. A concept that he, just to survive, has just separated himself from entirely. And so he can't, he can't be in the same emotional state that Tommy is right now. He can't connect with him on that because he's had to just kill that part of himself, he thinks, to be able to survive the last 20 years for the loss that he had. That's my thought. Can I throw in a D? Please. He's had this conversation now with Tess and with Ellie. Mm. This idea of hope uh, for hope for the world which he and inherently he, thinks is false he doesn't have any he did, he thinks that nothing's going to work it's all it's all crap everything's bad everything's not going to work we, we have no really we don't have much reason to go on he feels like sort of duty bound to continue for his brother for his for Tess, for whoever but like he doesn't have hope for the world and if you have that mindset you would think it would be grossly irresponsible to bring another life into this world. And I think that fits well with him, with him, well, how what specifically Tommy confronts him on here in a second of where Joel says, yes, we'll find out, which is kind of a cold line. Anyway, Tommy immediately snaps on him that and focuses on just because life stopped for you doesn't mean it has to stop for me, which is right. very much in the vein of what you're talking about before Joel died 20 years ago. He's just been enduring since he has no hope. He has no concept of the future. He doesn't care. He hasn't anything to invest in truly other than immediate friends and family, Tess to a certain degree, Ellie now, but no real actual hope in his soul for it that Tommy clearly has. And I think it's a very accurate and cutting line. Joel has no response to it other than just say, okay, I'm gone tomorrow. See ya. Which is exactly what he does. But when he walks outside, he stops. Seems like he's having trouble breathing again. He's having one of those episodes. Mm -hmm. I think you could, you could intuit this as, as panic attacks. If he is having cardiovascular issues, you know, uh, alcohol doesn't help that. It can exacerbate it. So it could be something physiological too. It doesn't necessarily have to just be a, a panic attack, but I, I don't know. It's, it's something. And he has another one of these episodes. He stands there looking at the town. As they're young, singing Christmas carols. Yeah. And he sees a young girl that has the hair that's very similar to his daughter, that wavy, wavy, yeah. frizzy hair. And, you know, he she turns to around. Go to her. He starts to physically go towards her. And then she turns around as someone else. Yeah. And, and that person seems to have a kid of their own, right? Mm -hmm. Like a, 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 either big sister or mom yeah. to someone else. 20, 20 years on, that could have been his daughter having another child, having a child being in the, there in the world. If things had gone differently. Yeah. So we leave Joel just standing there shaking. Cut to Ellie. She's getting out of the shower. Got nice pink robe on, chilling in some sort of like bedroom that seems to just sort of stop in time. It's like a little time capsule back to 2003. Yep. 
nobody nobody's been in there since 2003, according to Tommy. Yeah, and there's a note that says, I'm across the street on the bed. She then picks up something. Spencer, what is it that she picks up? She picks up a minstrel cup, which I was kind of surprised to see some people online really didn't know what it was. And so I looked up a little more. It is more common in other parts of the world, outside the Western world, because it is designed to be relatively cheap over a longer period, reusable, just have to clean it. I mean, it from an environmental standpoint, from a cost standpoint, they're a wonderful idea. Bridget's been using one for the whole time I've known her, so it's not that weird to me, but... Apparently, it is not among the more common of the optional products for uh, feminine hygiene in the U.S. So just just so I can be clear, you're telling women who listen to this podcast what to do, right, and to use I, these, and they should, they're should they doing wrong by, by I, using... I, I'm going to say two things with respect to this. Point number one, ladies, there's other options out there beyond the ones that you were necessarily told when you were a kid, and it could be worthwhile to explore what they are and see which ones work best for you. Guys... It could be a really great idea to actually know what female, female hygiene products your, your, your partner are using so that you can understand better in that regard. If you've never asked before, here's an opportunity to do so. So you are telling them what to do. I am suggesting that there are options in the world and <laughs> what they are is always a great decision. I just wanted the internet. I just wanted the comments to just explode. Uh, I these, appreciate Look at these two guys telling women what to do. Uh, look, we're obviously not doing that. I didn't know what it was. Um, I did know, I do know what these are. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't recognize it. I, uh, I was watching pretty quickly and doing my notes. I thought I, for a second, I thought it was an IUD and I thought, Oh, well, that's an interesting that's term. That's presumptuous. To, yeah, to think this 14-year-old is going to be sexually active anytime soon. Specifically I'm glad it wasn't. I'm glad it wasn't that because we would be having a very strange conversation if it was that about what Maria's intuiting about Ellie. Instead, it's more of just a kind gesture, I think. Yeah, just right. a really nice thing she's doing. Recognizing that she's 14, she's been scounging for tampons before, ancient decayed tampons. Whereas... Yeah, and she probably assumes Joel's not on top of this. Uh, good call. Probably accurate. Yeah, so, he is, yeah, yeah, he is knows too. It, here's what looks like even a Diva Cup brand. It's still good. The things work for years. Uh, here, just clean it every time. Every time that you use it, and you know you'll be able to use this for ten years in the future. Have fun. Ellie just sort of laughs when she sees it. Eyes get really big. She says, "Gross," but she does keep it. I just want to point that out. Mm-hmm. Um, she dresses. She, gets she her... recognizes what it is too, or at least intuits what. It's well, there's for. instructions. True. Doesn't look like she's read. Reads, maybe she skims them a little gray. She's looking through it. Yeah. She gets dressed. She gets a like a sort of interesting purple-ish, but not not oh, quite eggplant. Oh, not aubre- quite. Not aubre- yet. Aubergine. Aubergine. Uh, uh, coat on next door. Knocking, knocking on the. And she goes next door. Knocks on the door. She then goes in. She calls out for Maria. Maria then walks in the house. She sees Kevin and Sarah, and dates for each on a chalkboard. A little makeshift memorial up there. Mm-hmm. Which at Maria. this point she does not know who either are, which I'd forgotten that she actually did not know anything about Sarah. I know, yeah, it's interesting. So she Maria walks in with a new coat that she had just traded for, so that gives you an idea about how this economy works in this little place. She doesn't go out with credits and buy it; she just barters for it. Mm-hmm. Which is really nice of her to do. She gets Ellie an entirely new wardrobe just because. Well, it's interesting to me how I mean, of course they are right, but it is. Of note, how kind and giving Tommy are to Joel, Tommy and, and Maria are to mm-hmm. Joel and Ellie. I mean, they're giving a lot of things. Like, hell, Tommy's like, I'll give you my gun. I'll give you a horse. Here's some boots. I mean, all these things have to be very valuable in the society it, they're in. And it's important. I think it's important to note that because I saw some people online saying that Maria was uh, a hard ass. She was, cr- she was, you know, harsh. She was overly strict. It's like, 
Now, she's protective of her community, and she lays down a firm law. But as we see here with Ellie, she's also remarkably generous and caring. Yeah, she even cuts her hair. Just the, yeah. just the, just the tips of the hair. Like, that's it. Helping her out, just getting the frayed the split ends out. Right? I think that's really cool. Yeah, you should do it every two weeks, right? Uh, yeah, that's what I do. Every two weeks. Gotta, gotta get that beard shaped up. Maria starts to cut the hair, and Ellie asked her if that was her job before. Maria, no, 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 I no, it was that. She was one of your ilk, Spencer. Assistant district attorney out of Omaha. The moment she said that, I went, yep, yep. I'm confused. She was. This confuses me. Because to be an assistant DA, you have to have gone through law school. The timing on her being pregnant does not work. She's got to be like, what, 45? I was thinking even pushing 50, necessarily. It's been 20 years since. This doesn't make any sense. I mean, at best, she's like 45. Now, women can get pregnant at that age. She seems like she's in good health. There's going to be uh, you know, the risk of autism and other things is starting to go up. But I was I was straight up with you when they said that was like, eh. In, in, the, video, in the video game, it's like strongly indicated that she's like, they don't say that she's a, a former, you know, district attorney. She looks like 10 years younger than Tommy. And that, that math works. Here, it's like they're putting her more as a peer and accomplishing her own right. It's like, yeah. Biochemically, sure, yeah. Biologically, she could get pregnant, even in this particular world, everywhere else. But the timing is starting to get increasingly less likely, or with increasingly more health concerns. I just think it would have been easier for all of us if they would have just written her saying, "No, no, no, I didn't cut hair. I was actually in law school when it all broke, all hell broke loose. I was going to be a lawyer. I was really looking forward to it. I this, that's something I really wanted to like. It would that would have been just fine. The scene would have been the same, and it would have made more sense." She says her love of cutting hair, maybe it was a mom thing. This is even more screwing up the timeline. So she had a kid. Um, Ellie says she's sorry about her kids. And that's when Maria clarifies. Just says, And kid, just Kevin. Sarah was Joel's daughter. Maria, from Ellie's reaction, can tell Ellie did not know. And gets a little self-conscious. Says maybe she said anything. Ellie goes, no, no, it's okay. I guess that explains him a little. I think it explains him a lot, Ellie. I think it this is the key to unlocking joel that you did not know was there maria then goes into joel about his past i'm not going to ask you what you're doing with him good uh, ellie's the fucking best good because i'm not going to answer it. but there are clearly things you don't know about yet that you don't know about joel ellie jumps in oh like how he used to kill people i know all about that so she goes on to say look i know about it i know what he used to do furthermore madame Attorney, mm-hmm. Esquire, I know that your husband used to do the same things. Now, Maria is too smart for this because she does this really destructive, logical crutch that mm-hmm. people do with their partner where they go, oh, well, that wasn't his fault. Joel made him do it. And it's like when you see that, like, so when, when somebody's with someone, right? And that person has some sort of flaw, some sort of issue, whatever the thing is. And they start going, oh, that's not, that's his dad's fault that he acts that way. That's yeah. his mom's fault it, that he it, acts that way. It's, like, it's his friend group. They make him do things. Oh God. Yeah. We, how many times have we heard that over the years? Like, that, that, like one of our, one of our friends' spouses don't like something our spouse, that their, their spouse did. And suddenly it's our fault that the guy drank too much or came home too late, which has always been stupid to me. It's like, it's the guy's fault. Like, it's this weird logical crutch that people do with their partner to give their partner an out. And it frustrated me because I was like, everything we've seen of Maria is, is she's too smart for this. Mm-hmm. She's too smart to, to be this dumb. 
she does try to bring it back around on Ellie. To say, she says, oh, Tommy was just following Joel the way you are now. She tries to, like, say, well, you're just in the same... If you want to say, you know, like, you're like Tommy, then you're doing the exact same thing Tommy does in the way you're also saying, too. So she does try to flip it on Ellie, to which Ellie immediately brushes it off with, well, maybe I'm smarter than Tommy. No offense. God, she's pissing... She's spitting vinegar right now. I love her. I, lo- I love the no offense, too. Like, I think she needs to pick that up. She needs to start doing more of that. Mm-hmm. This sort of like you, sir, are the biggest piece of trash I've ever seen in my. No offense, no offense. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Maria says, "Well, you're definitely smart. You would have made a hell of a lawyer." That is one thing that lawyers do. We'll comment on this. Lawyers love to tell other people who would have been a good lawyer and who wouldn't have been. They're real big about this, and it's like not other other professions don't do this. It's not like some insurance adjuster is walking around like you know what, man, you'd have been a great insurance adjuster. It's like lawyers take themselves pretty seriously to be walking around blessing people with like you would have been a good lawyer or you wouldn't have been. It's the most fascinating thing because no one mocks the legal profession more than lawyers. No one loves lawyer jokes. No one no, no one tells you about how horrible lawyers are more than lawyers. But we still all universally mean as a compliment when we tell somebody you would have been a good lawyer. It's like. As you said, it's I don't see it in other professions, but lawyers love to throw that one around. I know, and I've always thought it's a real pompous thing for them to it do. It is. It's always like, well, first off, I don't want to be, uh, but second, like, who are you to like just be walking around right. like like? Right. And, and you know, the cool thing is that you know, doctors always get, lawyers go always get lumped in with doctors, right? Yeah. You'll never fucking hear a doctor tell somebody they'd be a good doctor because in their mind, they're the only good doctor. <laughs> In the whole world. Like, they're God, right? They are the only good doctor. They would never tell somebody else that. In fairness, I've never seen somebody be told that and not visibly take it as a compliment, though. You've met one now. I've never said it to you. I've known not to say it to you. Well, because you probably don't think I'd be a good lawyer. I, I work sure, in, read it that people, way. As people who listen to this podcast know, I work in I work in contracts. Closely have, with attorneys. I have lawyers who work for me. And I've been told you'd be a good lawyer 500 times in my life because of the type of profession I'm in. And like when I'm doing things like, oh, you're not a lawyer. Well, you'd be a good lawyer. And I always get frustrated by it. Anyway, that's mm. my rant. Um, so – she goes, but there's a whole lot you're not telling me. Herein lies the point. Be careful who you put your faith in. Potential line of the episode, Spencer. Mark it down. The only people who can betray us are the ones we trust. Indeed. Ellie just nods. She doesn't look at her. Maria tells her to grab her super fucking eggplant coat. Guess where they're going, Spencer? They're going to the movies. They're going to the movies. Oh, I, I really love Anybody who knows me knows I love going to the movies. This was something that like I got so damn frustrated with during covid it's like no i'm not one of these people who want like all of us to like not like follow any sort of health guidance from professionals all of that we should do all that Mm -hmm. but the second the movie theater opened my ass was there (laughs) i I missed that more than anything else when the world shut down so this would have been like this would have been a really big deal to me in the society that they can show movies. So for you, it's not bacon that is the hallmark that society yes. has returned. It is proper cinema. Yeah, exactly. Like the way that, that Tommy was talking about, oh my God, if we could just have bacon, we'd be like, we'd be back. Mm-hmm. Like for me, it's a movie theater. Like if we could have a movie theater, that is just, uh, we have what to have it. Movie buff that you are. Did you recognize the Richard Dreyfus film that they've got on the screen? Yeah, I did. Um, that movie was Goodbye Girl. Very the good, Goodbye sir. Girl. I've never actually seen it. I, 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 had to, I had to look up Richard Dreyfuss. 72, 72, 71? Uh, 77, I looked it up. Ah, okay. 
All right. Uh, so one, one Richard Dreyfuss Best Actor at the Academy Awards. And it was, at the time, the first romantic comedy to make more than $100 million at the box office. Mm, shout out. I do love the romantic comedy uh, genre. I do think it's been screwed up with Lifetime. Mm-hmm. Like, look, mm-hmm. I, li- I like the Lifetime. Trumped. Look, I like the Lifetime Christmas movies like everybody else. They're great. But the Lifetime movies in general have cheapened what a romantic comedy can be. Like the the quality of a film like When Harry Met Sally or Sleepless in Seattle or You've Got Mail. We're not we're not touching those heights anymore, Spencer. It's it's a problematic thing in the genre. Well, and in terms of point of comparison, Goodbye Girl was about a replacement father figure caring for a loudmouth adopted ish daughter. I wonder if there are any parallels to draw there between uh, that movie and our current show that we're watching. I do love how like they, their writer's room sometimes are like, yeah, well, mm, we, oh, we've got a, we've got a nail. I've got this 500 pound mallet we could hit the nail with. Whack. (laughs) Let's make it pretty obvious what we're trying to say here. Cut to Joel trying to fix his shoes again. Tommy walks in, says, guy said I might find you here. Gives him some new boots. Said, I thought I might save you the trouble. Again, I don't think anybody's making boots in this society. I'd be very shocked if they were. These have to be pretty valuable, I would think. I mean, the main animals we see that could be providing the leather would be, I guess, horses. They do have an impressive supply of horses. Uh, but still, leather boots, dear Christ, would those things be worth their weight in gold if gold were worth anything in this society? They were really smart to the, the horse breeding and to, I mean, like, it, when everything collapses in this fashion, horses. like, we, we, we really do need to get back to horses. That That's a really smart thing they've done. Uh, Tommy says he shouldn't have said what he said earlier. So this is a little mea culpa. He says, I didn't even believe it. I know you're happy for me. This is your point. But it's complicated for you. I am sorry. So you're going to let me off the hook or what? Joel didn't say anything. Let's say it. Tommy's a good dude. Tommy's a nice guy. It's, it, it's nice of him to even take what that occurred in that conversation as his own responsibility and come back and have this moment. Yeah, and we had this conversation in some of the earlier episodes about how Joel talked about his brother. Mm-hmm. And I told you that I suspected that, like, Tommy probably wasn't brainwashed by Marlene. He probably heard their point, mm-hmm. thought it was a good point, Believed it. and decided to try to do something good and went with them. And, like, all of that is kind of Barry now, I think, that, like, mm-hmm. he he makes his own decisions, seems to be a good-hearted guy, and he's just trying to do the right thing. Mm-hmm. So Joel asks if the ride to the university is a suicide mission. Tommy says, no, it's dangerous, but nothing you can't handle. Just prepare and do what you do. So this is a little hint of how Tommy still thinks about Joel's capability. And I think that signal to Joel, hey, you can do it. You know, just do what you've always done kind of triggers this conversation for Joel, where Joel's like, wait a second. Like, I'm going to put the the flags up here. I'm not that guy. What do you yeah. think? Like, I think the, it, it, it starts the conversation. The, the big brother effect that you're looking at, big brother's old. Big brother's decaying. Big brother's having either emotional or physical problems, and we need to talk about those. Joel asks if they've had people go that way and come back. Tommy says, all of them. What is this, Joel? Joel says, she's immune. I was, as a numerare uno in the Ellie fan club, I was displeased I was unhappy. The is out. I did not like that he told him this. No, not at all. Because it, like we've established that most people, if they know that she would ever was infected, would kill her. This we've also established this is an extremely protective society about what yep. they're in. It would have been not very shocking to me if Tommy had gotten right up, went and told Maria, and they would have shot and killed her. Like it, it seems like all of that was in play. 
it's, it's a testament to how much Joel trusts his brother and thinks he still can trust his brother in this. And he's right to, apparently, because Tommy keeps it to himself, best as we can tell. That's true. You're right. I just didn't like the risk. Joel then explains that Ellie is immune from the virus. Joel says he saw her get bit months ago, months, months, months. He focuses on the months, months, mm-hmm. Tommy yep, months. Yep, 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 yep. Trying, obviously, not to get Tommy to go run out and tell. Tommy then sits down and says, from the beginning. So then we get this sequence where Joel is explaining sort of what has happened with Ellie from his perspective. And we also see Ellie walking around outside. She's left the movie and I think she's looking for Joel. I don't think she was ever, it, it didn't seem to make she was ever happy in the the movie. At least it seemed like she was looking for Joel the entire time. Yes. So he says, Marlene hired me to smuggle Ellie to some fireflies. It went bad. Tess got bit. She made me swear to take the kid. It was her dying wish. What the hell was I supposed to do? Great point. Mm-hmm. We made it as far as KC. And then, you know, she saved my life there from another kid. Five years ago, I would have destroyed him, but she had to shoot him to save me. 14 years old. He neglects to mention that, that KC is imploded and everyone's dead. That That's kind of small potatoes. Background. Yeah. That's a, that, for Joel, that's a Tuesday. But he does explain that he was too slow or too fucking deaf, deaf to hear the kid coming. And I saw a man kill his own brother to save her while I just watched. And today I thought that dog was going to tear her apart because it smelled something on her. And all I did was stand there. I couldn't move. I couldn't think of anything to do. I was so afraid that I was so afraid. I'm glad he's disclosing this. I think he needs to talk like this more often. Uh, armchair psychologist that I am, <laughs> but I, but I don't think he's being particularly fair to himself on a couple of these points. I, I very fun. I mean, just even the, the few data points that we get from him is that I saw a man kill his brother to save her and I just watched. The guy had the gun. What were you going to you know, do? You, yeah, exactly. And in this, the, this the, situation today, like, they, you, you, you pointed it. shot you. Yeah, you pointed it out as we were doing the recap. There was literally nothing he could have done. But it may, it makes sense here that he's being so incredibly hard on himself because this is Joel. This is the inner doubter Joel. This is the voice that he's never had a chance, that he never gives himself the opportunity to say aloud that is finally speaking and it is just rife with self-incrimination. It is just tearing himself down because it is his own self doubt being reflected. He says, you think I can still handle things, but I'm not who I was. I'm weak. I will say, uh, I will point out, um, I'll do something that you don't do on this podcast and disclose yeah. something very personal about myself. I, um, so I, I've kind of changed over the years. I would say, would you, would you say that's fair that yes. I've, I've undergone some change? Sure. Um, I used to be a big party guy. I was the fun mm. guy. Uh, people would come around. I was always known. You're still you go, the fun you, guy. You go to Lee for the really good time, the really part. I have changed. I don't drink alcohol anymore. I don't do a lot of the things I used to do. And I have this kind of weird feeling too sometimes where people come around and they're like, hey, man, let's go. You're like, they think I'm still that guy. And mm-hmm. you kind of like feel like you're disappointing them because – you know, the years have just carried you to a different place. I know it's a di- kind, of, kind of a different thing than what Joel's dealing with, but mm-hmm. I think it's still the, the same kind of feeling of, hey, man, like you knew me back in this period when I was something else. And Let me I, tell you where I I, now. I've changed. I've had to change, but I'm, I'm scared I'm going to disappoint you. And I think mm-hmm. that's kind of what he's he's explaining here to Tommy. That's a, that's, very, that's a very on point point of comparison there, I think. He says he has these moments when the fears come out nowhere. He basically explains the symptoms of a panic attack. Mm-hmm. He says, I have dreams every night. Tommy's like, well, what are you dreaming about? Joel says, I can't remember, but when I wake up, I've lost something. I'm failing in my sleep. This is a wonderful scene. 
This is a wonderful monologue from Joel, and Pedro Pascal is acting for his Emmy nomination here in terms of what he is bringing to bear. It is incredible what the emotion that he's summoning for each of these words is the pain is just seeping out of him finally. Now, we're not very good about calling who's going to be nominated for these awards. We're, because we we're thought, saying people who should have won. We thought Patty Constantine was going to win the whole bucket of them. Sure. He wasn't even nominated for anything. I agree with you because then he has this line. And boy, boy, I'm failing in my sleep. That's all I do. That's all I've ever done is fail her again and again. So he he's talking about his daughter, right? Her, it, I fail her again and again. It, 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 at this point, it may even be a royal her. It's all the women in his life. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, how did you take that? Did you take it as that? That, that was, he was he was kind of saying it, this I mean, sort of like the, amorphous the, thing? The her in context is Ellie, but I have to feel that it is bleeding into the loss of his daughter, the loss of Tess, and who knows how many other people in the meantime that he, that he dared to put any degree of affection and trust and need upon. Tommy, who I'd like the record to state, uh, sir, can you make sure the official Not, record states this? Yes, sir. Yes, yes. He rules. Uh, Tommy rules. Underline twice? Yes, please. Uh, well done. Yep. Tommy rules. He says, you want me to take her? He pieces it right together, what Joel's asking. Joel says, I'm going to get her killed. I know it. And I have to leave her. Whew. <laughs> Joel says to Tommy, it's why you took off on me, right? To make up for the things we did. Well, here's your chance to bring your kid into a better world. Now he finally is starting to be a little bit of a salesman here because this is a yeah. good point. I th- but, he, but what's interesting is he does this three times in the episode. This is the first time he does it where Tommy ag- basically agrees to something and Joel keeps trying to sell him because mm-hmm. <laughs> I think at this point Tommy has agreed okay. and Joel is continuing to sell. I, I think Tommy wisely just realizes that Joel needs to talk here. Joel needs to get all this out. I'm with you, Joel. I was with you four lines about where we're going here that she is the possible savior of mankind. I'm 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 in. But finish what you emotionally need to finally say out loud now. And so all those things is he kind of dumps. You're younger than me. You're still strong. You said it yourself. You'll come back. You have to take her. Tommy just looks over at him, kind of shakes his head. Joel then says, can't tell anybody, not even Maria, says that if anyone else sees the bites on her, what's under her skin, they'll shoot her. Now, I think the concept that he has to hide it from Maria obviously makes Tommy physically cringe, but I do think by the end of this conversation, Tommy agrees Mm -hmm. that he has to keep the secret. Tommy looks down and says, I'll take her at dawn. Then we see Tommy walking outside with Joel. He tells him, look, that's where we got you staying right over there. Tommy walks off. Joel takes off toward it. Tommy walks back into the movie, movie being played. Goodbye girl. As we talked about earlier, Tommy Mm -hmm. walks up to Maria. He smiles, but it seems like Maria notices something is off with him. What didn't, didn't you take that that way? Very much so. Yes. She already can see that his guard is up in a way that it hasn't been maybe for, you know, However long, how long has Tommy been here? Like it's been a while, right? Well, I think it's when he stopped radioing in, right? So it had to be uh, about three months ago. Maybe, yeah. I think it was even a delay before then too. So he he has been established in the community. She reads him, she understands him, and she can already see something's different. Yep. And that timeline might not work, right? Because it can't be to be there. He can't be using the radio. And he, he clearly used the radio for Joel somewhere between three and four months ago. He had to have. What? And she's already pregnant with the kid and I, showing. So it starts to get fouled up. 
Well, I think at the game it was like two years, so it was much longer period of time, and Joel wasn't as close with Tommy, but whatever else. But I do think here in the show that they was they established that it had been a while since he'd heard from his brother. That's why yeah, but they said that like, they when, said the where, time, and it was, was like the it last was weeks. Time you heard from him? But it was like weeks when he was going into the radio station and complaining about it. So it can't, it can't be more than three or four months. Maybe I'll I'll, ch- I'll check back. I'm curious to see. And she's already pregnant and showing, so I, I don't know. I, I you know, and she was a DA and she had a kid, and now she's pregnant at fifty. I don't know. I don't know. We got to hand wave some some timeline issues here. Tommy. Um, so Tommy saddles up to watch the rest of the film. Maria looks at him and then we cut back to Joel who walks up the house. He walks inside. He goes up the stairs, goes to Ellie's room. Is this really all the, this is Ellie talking. Is this really all they had to worry about? Boys movies deciding which shirt goes with which skirt. It's bizarre. <laughs> She's reading some girl's diary. Ellie asks him, why are you there? Joel says, I came here to tell you, no, 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 no. Why are you still here? If you're going to ditch me, just ditch me. Woo. So then Joel asked her exactly what she's heard. And she said, basically, I heard the good parts, which was, I have to leave her. You have to take her. Uh, in in to your memory, uh, in episode one, Joel said it had been three weeks uh, since they last heard from him. So, yeah, it's probably been like five months or whatever else he's been here. Whatever. Yeah, so it kind of, it kind of, right. So it, they, they shacked up quick. Yeah, he must have got her pregnant right away for this to work, right? Um. Ellie says, you know, I stood up for you today because I thought, what was she referencing when she said I stood up for you? What what, what scene was she referencing? I was a little confused there. Hmm. I, I took it to mean when she was just super punchy in the tavern. I think so. Something along those lines, yeah. So, uh, because I, I didn't really remember any other time she stood up for him, really. It's got to be something with respect to that, yeah. Anyway, Joel tries to tell her that he made the decision for her own good. Ellie snaps. Do you not, do you give a shit about me or not? So he, she finally cuts through and asks the question. We've all been wanting to, which I've been monitoring, which I have been, I've been heat indexing. Ready for this moment. Joel says, of course I do. And he says, then what are you so afraid of? I'm not her, you know. And then now Joel tenses up really. Maria told me about Sarah and he just says, don't, don't say another word. And what's cool about Ellie is that Ellie at this point is like, look, you're going to leave me. So I don't give up. Like, I'm not scared of you. I'm not scared of you. I'm going to keep talking. And and it's good that she does. She says, I'm sorry you lost your daughter, Joel. I believe her. She says, but I have lost people too. Joel then stupidly. Can I, can I, uh, like, can the official record, can we get the official record back out? It is returned, sir. Please continue. Okay. Joel is being stupid in this scene. I want three underlines on that. Three underlines. I'll even put a little star right here. Got it. Thank you. He says, you have no idea what loss is. My question to you, Joel, how can anyone be alive in this fucking world and not in this world that we're seeing and not know what loss is? How could you say that to her and honestly believe it? She's not a toddler. She's clearly lost people. She has no one else in her life. She has just you. She's all the way across the country to a place she's never been before. How can you look at her and say, you have no idea what loss is? This is the self-centeredness of Joel's pain. His All of his world, all ah, of his perspective well is centered around his pain. And he can't imagine something operating outside of it. Because everything that he you know views and sees in the world is through that lens. 
Really good podcast moment right there. The self-centeredness of Joel's pain. Shout out to you, Spencer. That was really good. She says, everybody I have cared for has either died or left. Every fucking, everybody fucking except for you. So don't tell me I'd be safer with somebody else because the truth is I would just be more scared. Lee, heart broke many, many pieces. She said more scared. She didn't say I would be scared. She's what she's admitting is I've been scared this whole fucking time. And with you, it's a little bit less. We've been giving props to Pedro Pascal's entire episode. Props to Bella Ramsey for this scene right here. God, does she bring the emotional powerhouse? Yeah. Joe looks down and says, you're right. You're not my daughter. So he gets mad. Yeah. I sure as hell ain't your dad now. Come down. We're going our separate ways. And he walks off. She's left there fighting back tears. This is, don't point this out often, but this scene is almost word for word from the video game. Interesting. See, I never know. I never yeah. know. Cause like that, that, this doesn't seem like a video game scene at all. I know you've told me it's more cinematic, but I, I mean, I know you still have to play some in the video game. And like, it's like, what would you be playing here? I guess nothing. Nothing. There, it's a video game built around a hell of a lot of cinematics. This one's occurring in a bit of a different context. I mean, the, the whole game involves a whole lot more murder and shooting because gameplay is necessary. Sure. But the dialogue is almost word for word. Joe walks in the bedroom. Sits down, he sits there thinking. He has a memory of putting ornaments on a tree with Sarah. We see Joel thinking, and he turns out the light. What do you think changes? What what hap- What is Joel's cognitive process between when he basically tells Ellie to fuck herself to when he gets he's out there about to steal a horse to leave with her? What is cha- what changes in his mind? It's interesting to think about because what he tells her in that moment is. I thought you deserved a choice. But almost what I feel like he's more feeling is, is that I can't lose this again. I can't leave this anymore. I've found a bit of this again. I've found, I've touched this memory. I'm feeling these connection to the world again. I can't lose that. So it's interesting that he frames it around her, but I almost think it's more personal for why he goes back. Here's your thoughts then. Well, I think that the whole you have you have a choice thing was his way of starting the conversation, but he's already three quarters of the way through stealing a horse. He's got his shit on the horse. He's, he's clearly leaving. Minutes. Yeah, like he's been there for a half hour. He's clearly planning on leaving, right? But I'm more wondering, like, why he turned? Why he changed? I don't why know. did he decide I'm going to go with her as opposed to he clearly what like if if he had to make the choice when he was walking away from Ellie in the room, it looks like he wasn't going to choose to go with her something switches in his mind well i think i think he was mad in the moment i think he was mad that she brought up his daughter which he had no idea that she even knew about so he's even getting more mad at maria that she brought that shit up um so i think he responded just aggressively and instinctually there his original decision was to protect her but best i can offer based on all the flashbacks happened to his daughter is that he just he just doesn't i don't think he can i think he doesn't want to lose this again yeah, I think he in looking at his daughter in the in the flashback when putting the ornaments on the tree, <clears throat> I think he was transferring that obligation mm-hmm. to her and basically saying like I, I would be failing some version of my daughter if I don't do this. Like he's he's transposed he's reflected so much of his daughter onto Ellie mm-hmm. that the idea of leaving her hits him in the Sarah chord a little bit. So yeah. Yeah, it's, that's what, that's, I think that's what they were trying to show you. I could have dealt with a little bit more of what 
happened that night for him? Was it a different dream? Maybe some internal monologue. Maybe he talks to Tommy and tells Tommy why he changed his mind. Something like that would have been nice for me, but we didn't get it. If, if I had to offer a bit of a criticism of this episode, I still think it's my second favorite of the season and remarkably well done. I think the, the back half is a little rushed at a couple points, and I think this is one of them a little. Yeah, it's not a big deal, but a, a little bit more would have been nice. So next morning, sun is coming out from behind the mountain. Ellie is dressed and packed. Notice she didn't make the bed. Did you notice that? I did, yeah. She just... She, well, she went to a military school. She should know to make the bed. Uncle Lee out there to the kids. Make your bed every morning. I know I sound a million years old by saying that, but it gets your day off on the right foot. I really believe in it. I, I would try to put on you so you're telling kids how to live their lives. Has nowhere near the effect of you trying to accuse me of telling women how to, how to, pick, how to pick their feminine hygiene products, though. So, again, fuck you. Am I trying to tell kids how to live their lives? Yes. <laughs> yes, I am. Doubling down. Really, make am. your damn bed for sure. I, I, for you, not for not for Uncle Lee. Do it for yourself. Your day will go better. Knock on the door, and Ellie says, "Come in." Tommy walks in, and Ellie gets up with her stuff and just walks out. She walks ahead of him. She doesn't feel any closeness to Tommy. I can tell you that. How would you describe if, if, if you were to assign it a word? How would you describe Ellie's emotional state right now? Numb. Yeah, resigned. Numb. It is accepting the inevitable but in no way you know energized about it tommy walks behind just says stables and off they go so they're not even making small talk they get to the stables they turn the corner and ellie sees joel he came here to say goodbye or something he says i came here to steal one of these horses and go tommy says i would have gave you one joel <laughs> says i know anyway that was 30 minutes ago and i guess you deserve a choice. I still think you'd be better off with Tommy. He doesn't get all that out. Ellie just screams, let's go. Let's go. Basically like, I'm going to, let's, let's leave before you change your mind. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Joel just says, okay. And Tommy looks at them and smiles. So I think Tommy notices he was there for a moment and I think he appreciated it. Uh, we can go back to official record. Tommy rules. How many, how many underlines are we putting under it now? Well, no, I just want to go back to the official record. Did we, did we, we marked down Tommy Rules, correct? Uh, it has its own page, sir. Yeah, Tommy Rules, two underlines. Mm. Joel gets her up on the horse. Joel then turns to Tommy, asks for a general direction. Southeast, right, right off I-25, hard to miss. Joel hugs Tommy. Tommy says there is a place for them there, both of them. Joel says, I'm counting on it. Joel asks if he can borrow the gun. He's not borrowing the gun. He's taking the gun. Tommy says, yes, because Maria took mine. You know, Tommy, I already said yes, Joel. I feel like this is something that goes up, comes up in their relationship a lot. Joel just keeps on hammering his point home. And Tommy's like, I'm always already with you. I was already with you. They stand there and look at each other. Tommy says, adios, big brother. I will venture a bet, Spencer. I, I'm writing it on a post-it. Okay, folks. write it down. I've got got? My po- which, by the way, my brother, big fan of the podcast, uh, which – he says that, so I'm not trying to like blow us up or anything. He says yeah, that yeah. he is. Um, and I really appreciate that he listens. By the way, Mangum Talks, uh, uh, Cinema, a Last of Us t-shirt. So, um, hey. yeah, yeah. Thanks for paying for that, Spencer. He sent us <laughs> post-it notes. Oh, perfect. You <laughs> got us Isn't that great? So great. So I'm putting on the post-it note. Here's my post-it note for this scene. This is the last time Joel sees Tommy. Okay. Right, the it's on the wall. It is on there. Maybe there'll be string connecting it, but the post-it note is on the wall. They leave the walls. They leave from behind the walls. They see them uh, practice. Then we see them basically just enjoying a road trip together in a way that they were not before. I mm-hmm. think now I've got them up at a 9.5, Spencer. Mm-hmm. 
9.5. They jumped up a, a, a point. We see them practicing shooting guns. Ellie is terrible. Spencer's been calling this out all episode. She says the target is too small. That's a fascinating thing to say. This is me. This is me, me missing a contested three pointer and saying, look, the, the hoop is too small. That's the problem. The hoop is too small. Why isn't it the broadside of a barn? I ask you. Joel shows her how to do it and damned if he can't hit the mark, he does. Ellie calls him a dick. Great bonding moment. He, I'm going to go ahead up to a 10 now. All right, fuck it. It's a 10. It, it's it's wonderful. He literally shoots the H out of asshole, which is just great anyway. But the banter between these two, both characters and actors, is just lovely. Everyone in this episode, but it's getting... It is. Get, it was to the point of me knowing where the plot's going. I knew what we were building towards, and they were just making it all the worse of just how wonderful and pleasant and idyllic their road trip is to go down to the University of Eastern Colorado. Yep. We see their campfire from a distance. Next day they are riding. So we get more of these really beautiful shots of the Canadian landscape. It's supposed to be Wyoming or whatever, but we know it's Canada. Mm-hmm. Um, Ellie asked Joel if the, the way these folks ran things in Jackson, if that was how things used to be, Joel <laughs> no. cannot wait to tell her no. The country was far too big for that. Back then there was basically two main ways of looking at things. Some people wanted to own everything. This is like Spencer and his governor. Uh-huh. And there are some people who don't want anybody to own anything at all. This is like our friend Levi up there with uh, Senator Bernie Sanders. Joel says he was neither. He did his job. He was a contractor, middle of the road guy, independent voter, middle, middle, independent voter, swing both ways. Mm. The contractor. That's what she's, that's his new, his, his new superhero name that Ellie has given him. <laughs> she's going to like draw a comic book for him later. The contractor. Mm-hmm. That's pretty cool. I know what, maybe my, one of my, not my favorite, but like top five moment of the episode for me. Is Joel just kind of nods? He goes, "You know what? We were pretty cool." I love that. <laughs> it, it it was an absolutely wonderful moment because she says that he says, "Yeah, we're pretty cool," and has just a beaming smile on his face. And then she hugs him close and kind of puts her cheek up against the back of his jacket as she's riding off. Now he then makes the, what is a bald faced lie and says, "Everybody loved contractors," which I don't know. I've heard a more false statement from him on this show, but it's still an absolutely wonderful scene. I like contractors. I You just got to watch them. That's all. You just got to watch them. Like a fucking hawk. Yeah, but I do like them. Uh, you, I mean, you you got to watch them. You got to ride them. We need way more of them. We need that way, way, way more. 100% of them. true. I've got an unfinished base, basement here <laughs> that I cannot find a contractor <laughs> to deal with. We need way more of them. Cut to more uh, travel scenes. <clears throat> here, Joel explaining the rules of American football to Ellie. They mm-hmm. make it to I-25. Ellie says they... These were easy days. This wasn't too hard. Which I, I looked it up. I-25 <clears throat> basically cuts Colorado in half going right through Denver. So maybe this is in about the outskirts of Denver. Ellie then using her patented Joel mocking voice. Still time to find out. Mm. The contractor. <laughs> they get to the university. <clears throat> Mascot is a ram. Home of the just big like, arms. Just big like horns. our alma mater. Just like our alma mater. Oh, it's a ram. Like, UNC it, Chapel Hill. They, re- they relocated UNC ultimately to Colorado, Colorado. I appreciate this. Yeah. Um, they, they probably have a better basketball team. Uh, shut uh, even, up. Even after this fucking disaster. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's what, you know, you want, you want the, you want the sports equivalent of the cordyceps and the disaster happening. That's what happened to UNC basketball team this year. It's the, the cordyceps have attacked. I think you're exaggerating a little bit No, we are not. No, I'm not. It's all-time ever. Seven billion people dead is the equivalent of this. In sports terms, yes. Oh, good Joel God. says the fireflies are probably in the middle. Uh, so, Joel, there's nobody here. 
Like what? What like, is Joel doing here? Is it? Is he just blindly hanging on to hope that they they've like? Yes. There's nobody here, Joel. I mean, Joel. Joel, I think rationally understands the moment that they even arrive on site that this place is dead. Like, there's no signs of anybody. There's not even the inclination that people have been here recently, like occupying this place recently. But they've literally traveled cross country to be here. I think he's got a bit invested in this. So Ellie then tries to understand the university system in America pre cordyceps. So, so people lived here and went to classes and stuff, even though they were adults. Joel says, sort of adult. Spencer, I'm going to want your take on this right now. He says, I think it was just as much about partying and finding themselves as anything else, figuring out what they wanted to do with their lives. What say you? I think that is a probably pretty accurate read about what most people actually get out of undergrad. The, the actual classes, mo- most people don't remember them beyond like a year after they took them. Majority of the subject matter, particularly for the first couple of years, has no relevance to what their career is going to be. Even their degree, for most people, doesn't have a direct relevance to what their ultimate career is going to be. But the time period of growing up and the socialization associated with it and going through the process of what, you know, learning and working is, all of those are useful skills and, you know, useful parts of the experience that make college worthwhile. Yeah, I'm going to disagree with you here because you came from a really, like, for North Carolina, like a big school system, like, probably a lot of AP classes. I did, like, yeah. like I was able to like be pulled out of a place that didn't have a lot of that and be placed somewhere that made me a better speaker, a better mm-hmm. writer, a better reader, uh, a better intaker of information, more learned and knowledgeable about things that you might have thought pretty basic, but weren't for me. Like, so for some people, I think it, the undergrad experience does do more than that. I think also though, it's like a lot of like, just like resume calling. Like we got it. We, we, we get, we're, we're getting 4,000 resumes. We have to figure out a way to call some of these. Okay. Yeah. Well, let's just, let's just create this arbitrary bar that is undergrad. I think there's some of that too, but sure. for, for grew up in, in rural parts of North Carolina, being able to go somewhere where I got exposure to things um, was pretty helpful for well, me. So I, I kind of push back on that a little bit. No, there, no, no, I, think, I think it was more useful than what he's saying. I think that still fits within the broad definition of what he's saying, of where it's a place to find yourself and learn a bit more about the world. Not necessarily. Not, not necessarily. I didn't see the word learn anywhere in this. I think he was kind of did. It was implied. Uh, I think he was kind of shit on the undergrad experience, but uh, do, I think it's a little think, bit more. Do we think Joel went to college? No. Okay. Yeah, and that's the that's kind of the, the idea, yes. right? Is that uh, I want to want to. Do you think Joel would be interested in debating this with me? <laughs> no, I don't think so either. <laughs> I don't think our listeners are too interested in it either. Joel then tells her he doesn't actually want a sheep range anymore. When I was a kid, I wanted to be a singer. Ellie just laughs at this, and Joel's like, "Why are you laughing?" She's like, "No, I need you to sing for me." He goes, "No, you're laughing at me," <laughs> and she's like, "No, I'm not." He's like, "You're <laughs> laughing right now." <laughs> can, can Pedro Pascal sing? I have no idea. I want to look this up now. I don't know. Uh, and then they see monkeys. Um, these are, these are baboons, I believe. I couldn't tell. They, they, these are, they, yeah, there are, they're baboons and they, they could be classified as monkeys. A lot of people use the word monkeys to mean things that aren't necessarily monkeys. If you use the word monkey to explain a chimpanzee, you're doing it. You're, you're using words wrong. You're mm. just using words wrong. That's a great ape. But anyway, these are baboons. You can classify them as monkeys. He says, presumably from the old labs, this is 2003. So there probably was still a lot of primate lab research in some of these universities that has been mostly phased out in this country. Thank God. 
but Progress. not all the, not all the way. They then see the way to the biomedical building. Joel says there are no fireflies there. Like our Joel, Joel looks at the biomedical uh, building sign Seasonal and they take off. Logo. And my note is, Joel, you know they're not there anymore. Mm-hmm. You know there would have been guards. You know there would have been signs of life. Why are you still going here? I don't understand it. At this point, sheer just momentum. It, it, it is hard to start a train that's had this much speed going for this long and they got to make it to the destination. I mean, but it's not all is not lost. Go back to Jackson, regroup, what? try to get some intel on where the fireflies are. Like, you don't, it, all isn't lost here. You do know they were here at one point. So even if you suspect they're not here anymore, there might be some sign of where they went, which they do ultimately find. That's a fair point. Yeah, that's a fair point. So, um, they walk up to the building. The building's a mess. Ellie looks around, says there were definitely doctors here. Joel checks some of the papers, says it's, there was a packing list, something you might make before you move. Ellie wonders why they just up and left. And they hear something, and Ellie says, well, maybe not all of them have left. So they walk on. They go upstairs. They walk down a hallway. really feels like a video game here, this walking down hallways, opening doors, Fair checking enough, things. Yeah. Lo- looting every available box. Yeah, get it, get all of whatever coin that is in this world or whatever, <laughs> which, you know, load up. Joel goes up to a corkboard. Oh, there's more baboons in the, in the, in the room when they They, they were the in. ones making noise that they heard upstairs. Yeah, and the baboons take off out the window. Uh, so then Ellie makes a joke. Maybe in all that research, they turned into fucking monkeys. <laughs> she's sure. Keeping, she's, maybe. Keeping a, she's keeping a good, good humor about herself. Joel goes up to a corkboard that has a map on it. They see a lot of roads and things pointing to Salt Lake City. No, You've been no, to Salt Lake City? I have never, I've, I've landed, in, I've used the airport. I've never actually been outside the airport though. Boring. Sorry. What? Sorry. Anybody well, from Salt Lake City is boring. It's notable too that, uh, it doesn't seem, it seems like they're converging in Salt Lake from multiple directions, like from Seattle, from the East Coast, from previously here in Denver. They're coming from several different places to converge in Salt Lake, from at least according to that map. Joe walks up to the window and sees people walking on the ground below. He tells her to go out the back. So they know they're in trouble here. There's, there's, you know, what's so sad to me about this whole world? Like my, maybe one of the more important things that I take away from any of this. Hmm. Is that like when all shit, everything goes to hell, like every Joel has to assume rightly that every stranger he meets wants to fucking murder him. And, and it's like, God, what a, what a fucking state the world has gotten into. And he's probably been proven right with that assumption 99 times out of 100 in his past. Right. Yeah. He's right to think it. But it's just like, it's just so sad that that's where yeah. we, where humans seem to have it, gone to when this whole thing exploded. It, Hobbes was proven right. Remove the, remove the protections of society and mankind descends into barbarism. Yeah. See, I understand the Hobbes reference. I know Hobbes wrote Leviathan because I went to undergrad. Uh, they go outside <laughs> and try to sneak. I read it in high school. Yeah, I'm sure you did. Probably in the cradle. Uh, to get up, get to the horse, but they were, they're loading up and a guy comes out. Ellie warns him. Sad that Joel didn't see him coming. It's the same thing he told his brother. He didn't mm-hmm. see him coming. Joel does snap the guy's neck, but not before he stabbed with something. With, with, with the, uh, the guy breaks the bat on that tree, but he's still holding it. And then when Joel charges him, yep. he gets stabbed in the side then with the broken end of the bat handle. It's interesting that Joel is, has so much adrenaline that he doesn't feel it. This is pretty common in these, with these types of injuries and, sure. and, and in combat situations, I think that people don't feel it. Um, 
Joe pulls it out and drops it. Which he Ellie shouldn't is, do. No, he shouldn't. No, uh, he should not have Uncle done. Spencer here. If you got, an, if, you, if you have an impaling wound like that, keep it in. Stop because uh, the moment you remove it, you're just in, you know increasing the blood loss immediately. So, what would be the diagnosis here? To keep it in, get on the horse, and go right back to Jackson and see if somebody there can help you. Yeah, try keep it in. Apply as much pressure as you can to it to prevent blood loss and get. I mean, it's a five day journey, so I, I, it's a hell of a thing to try to make that trip. But the moment he pulls it out, he's uncorking himself. Yeah. Ellie looks mortified that he pulled it out. More guys are running up. Ellie gets him on the horse and they take off. Ellie is shooting from the back of the horse the whole way. Not particularly well. Maybe maybe a, t- a tiny bit better than she used to. But she's yelling, get back, get back. So I'm she, not even sure she's, she's trying fend- to hit him. She's fending them off. She's, you know, area, area denying right now. So you think she's not even really trying to hit him. She's just trying to Scare him, off, slow yeah. him down. Okay. Then we get a scene of them on the horse. Joel is white as snow and he falls down into the snow. She looks down. He's still bleeding. She's asking him to open his eyes. Joel, you have to get up. I can't fucking do this without, I don't, I don't know where the fuck I'm going. I don't know what to do. Joel, Joel, please, 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 Joel, please, 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 Joel. And we pan out. Never Let Me Down Again by Depeche Mode plays, but I think it's a different band playing it. I think it's another band covering the song Never Let Me Down. I agree. And this was the song that we got to hear at the beginning of their adventures when they were leaving the, the Accusee in episode one, when we first saw the blast remnants of Boston. So it is hearkening back to the beginning of their journey and possibly now here at the end. Okay, so end of recap, we have to talk about the 4,000-pound elephant in the room. Is Jill dead? Sir? Please put please put a post-it on the wall as to your conclusions as to whether Joel is dead. Okay, so I immediately thought no. I think I've been trained in media to not believe that your main character can die in season one. I mean, Game of Thrones, obvious example. Yeah, but it happened. But like most of the time, no, it doesn't happen. That proves the rule. Right, most of the time it doesn't happen. So my first reaction was I'm not falling for it. It also happened at the end of an episode, which we've seen some like kind of sketchy, not sketchy, but kind of like misleading things happen at the end of episodes. I'm thinking specifically about Sam and Henry mm-hmm. as if they were some sort of like villainous characters or something with like two seconds. We realize when the next episode starts that these people are fine. Harmless. So made me think they were trying to misdirect us here. But then I got thinking, I think the season one is just the arc of the first video game. Like, and so it's the entire video game we're going to get here of, of the first video game in season mm-hmm. one. It's very much within scope of that first entire storytelling for Joel to die. Second, I think they've written themselves in a corner. I don't know how he doesn't die. They're out in the middle of nowhere. He has no way to get anywhere. It's at, at minimum five days to get to back to Jackson. Mm-hmm. He's bleeding out. He's unconscious. Joe, I mean, Ellie can't even get him up on a horse. I think I've switched. I know it's kind of like the underdog. It's like the plus 600. I think they're actually killing Joel here. How do you feel about that decision then, if that's the case? It tells me that this is not going to be for, you're not going to be going into season 14 of The Walking Dead here. Like it, this is a tight story. This is a Spencer-esque story. This is one, two, maybe, maybe at the out, at the margins, a third season and no more. If they're, if they're killing Joel here, I'd like it. I'd like it. I, I, I would Look miss Pedro Pascal. I like, I like it. But like if Tommy suddenly shows up with the ability to stitch Joel up and get him somewhere and save him, 
I'm going to be a little disappointed in, the, in how they're telling a story here because that's pretty unbelievable. The way they've written this story, the way they've, the position they've put himself in, how most of the time in this show, there are consequences for things. I mean, Tess fucking died. Sam fucking died. Bill, Frank, gone. Like, when people are in trouble, they typically die in the show. I don't think Joel is, has that kind of plot armor considering the story they're telling. I think Joel's dead, and I actually like it. Uh, based on, did you watch the trailer for the next episode? Yes, Joel's not in it. And it, I, and I, I, it's not spoiling anything from what you saw. The next episode appears to be a 100% a fla- a flashback episode from what we saw of it. Yes, of her in the uh, Fedra school. Which is actually downloadable a downloadable content pack from the original video game of exploring that aspect of Ellie's life. So they've made that episode. Yeah, so I think we're getting a flashback episode. I think they're going to save Is Joel Dead to uh, lead that up to like as far as they can toward the season finale, but three episodes left from here. But yeah, I think, I think sees it, but he, I think he's, he's dying in this sequence. I, I don't know how, how well, to, how could they write themselves out of this? What, what they, I mean, where, what, what is she going to do? Was he just going to like wake up and be like, Oh, actually I am okay. Let me get on this horse and travel for six days. No. I mean, she can't even put him on the horse. Yeah. There's nothing to save him. So yeah, I think it's over. I mean, soaking wet. Pedro Pascal probably outweighs Bella Ramsey by a hundred pounds. It's like nothing, nothing's happening there. I don't think she could get him a mile down the road, mm-hmm. like much less a five day journey somewhere. So yeah, I think it's over. Over for Joel. That's my prediction. Post-it note, which my brother very kindly got us He's, on the wall. It's on the wall. Physically, you just put it on the wall, folks. All right. That's it for the is, recap. Let's... Is, your, is your wife going to make complaints about you having all these post-it notes on that wall now? Uh, no, because they're all true. Okay. <laughs> Uh, all, right. all right, let's go with our with, best with, line of the episode. With that very somber point, yeah, I'll go into I'll go into best line. Uh, like the first fifteen of these are all that old couple that we start the episode with. So yeah, those are great. Bear with me. Why didn't you shoot him? Well, the gun's all the way over there. He didn't hurt me, by the way. Yeah, I got eyes. You made him soup. Yeah, I did. It's cold out. They're just the best. They're a lovely couple. I they love really them so are much. awesome. Uh, Joel, come on. They're like a thousand. Who's this little psycho? Never mind her. I need you to tell me where we are. If you've got, if you've got a map, why are you lost? Ellie. Must have missed all the street signs in that enormous fucking forest. Holy. They're great. They're already bantering great. Could we just have an entire season dedicated to these guys just having lunch together? I'd be down. Uh, we're somewhere here. Exactly where? And your answer better be the same as your wife's. And he turns to his wife and says, Did you tell him the truth? Yeah. Are you telling me the truth? Yeah. Again, I, I, I am so immediately believe these two have been living together for decades. It's just yes. astounding. <laughs> yes, I uh, agree with they're, that. They're both great actors. It's basically like, um, I wrote it down. One second. They, they both were previously in the same television show together. Uh, Northern Exposure. Did you ever watch that from the 90s? Yes. Yes, I did. Uh, they were they were both in that her in a, uh, in a more, bigger role than him, so I almost feel like we're having a bit of a reunion of the two of them. But they're they're great together. Uh, let's see here. Um, well, you found a great place to hide. Hide? Came here before you were born, Sonny. Get the hell away from everybody else. And then she's the greatest line ever. I didn't want to. <laughs> I feel like they've been fighting that one for decades. <laughs> yeah, she didn't want to come out here forty years ago, but here we are. It's worked out okay. What about the fireflies? Well, we get those in the summer. Not the bugs, the people. There are firefly people having fun. Look at them having fun. 
You really did like every quote from the couple, didn't uh, you? Yep. <laughs> I like it. I did too. I thought they were they were charming. Uh, let's see here. Uh, so where are you going? What are you going to do? It's never been an option. Maybe an old farmhouse, some land, a ranch. Cool. What kind? Sheep. I would raise sheep. They're quiet and they do what they're told. I, just, I love the dad moments between the two of them of where he's just... I know. And I love how Ellie's like, yeah, 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 I get it. Like, I know what you're doing. You don't need to explain it, Dad. I understood right there. (laughs) Uh, Ellie's confession to to Joel, I tried with Sam. Tried what? I knew he was infected. I rubbed some of my blood into his bike. I know, I know, it was stupid. I wanted to save him. Well, I reckon it's a lot more complicated than that. And then, like you highlighted here... Marlene, she's a lot of things, but she's no fool. If she says that they can do it, they can do it. It's such a wonderful moment between the two of them. Because like you said, it's Joel acting differently than we've ever seen him before because he says something, doesn't know if it's true. He doesn't care if it's true. He says it specifically so it'll make Ellie feel better. Uh, everything that happens with Ellie at the lunch table, with her just being a little feral, pissy, Spit and vinegar every awesome. child. It's just she's great. the best. Like you said, one of the best parts. Fuck you, looking at. Yeah, her just squaring off with the random girl that I'm calling Dana. It's just, it's just great. Um, Joel, say congrats, congrats. Funny, funny little capstone to that. Isn't that the second time she she told him he like he had to do that? There was another situation where she told him he had like Joel, she was like Joel, say something. Joel, he, he, he just talks that way. He's got he's got asshole voice. Joel, say everything's fine. Everything's oh, yeah, yeah. fine. That's what it was. Yeah, with Sam and Henry. Yep. Uh, let's see here. Everything you see in this town, greenhouses, livestock, all shared, collective ownership. So Joel, so uh, communism. Nah, this Tommy. Nah, nah, it's, it's, it ain't anything like that. Maria, it is that. Literally, this is a commune. We're communists. It's just the expression on Tommy's face afterwards of just not wanting to accept that, given his background. Uh, the confrontation between Joel and Tommy ending, uh, there's just several great moments with respect to it when they're sharing that drink at the bar. But just some really great lines from it are... Um, and I don't judge you for it. We survived the only way we knew how. But there were other ways. We weren't. We just weren't any good at them. And then ending with, just because life stopped for you doesn't mean it has to stop for me. Yep. Great acting moment and some wonderful lines between the two of them. From Maria, the only people you can betray are the ones we, the only people who can betray us are the ones we trust. That is the philosophy this community runs by. And as you said, it's almost in some ways a maxim for the show about what people you let in. Uh, the entire, I'm not going to repeat it because you basically did, but the entire Pedro Pascal Joel speech to Tommy about admitting weakness, admitting pain, admitting fear, and getting Tommy to be the one that takes Ellie is just a masterclass in writing, a masterclass in acting. It's beautifully delivered. It's beautiful. It is perfect for the characters and perfect for the moment. I love it. Agreed. Uh, the moments later, but the, the moment between uh, Ellie, uh, between Ellie and Joel, but Maria told me about Sarah, and then Joel just says, "Don't, don't say another word." I'm sorry about your daughter, Joel, but I have lost people too, as you highlighted. Joel, you have no idea what loss is. Very stupid line. Ellie responding though, everybody I've cared for has either died or left me. Everybody, fucking except for you. So don't tell me I'd be safer with somebody else because the truth is I would just be more scared. But Joel, not wanting to hear it, you're right. 
You're not my daughter, and I sure as hell ain't your dad. Now come dawn, we're going our separate ways. Brutal scene, tough scene, but greatly acted and delivered. Uh, funny line, just to have a couple funny ones in here too, but when Joel's teaching Ellie how to shoot and he's going through, you squeeze the trigger like you love it. Gentle, steady, nice and slow. And Ellie just kind of snaps at him. You gonna shoot this thing or get it pregnant? It's just hilarious. I like the little grin he gives back to her too. Yeah. And he kind of sticks his tongue out the side of his mouth as he's grinning. Yeah. It's a very, uh, like, uh, I don't know, uh, knowing sort of funny look between the two of them. I also think he's almost overselling the procedure for him of going through the shots. I feel like it's almost like a quickly down under moment of where he could just throw up and shoot this thing, but he's going to go through the motions of making it more dramatic and that what the process she needs to learn as he's teaching her. Yeah, for sure. Uh, the whole contractor dialogue back and forth, you talked about that. That was great. Other than the lie about everybody loving contractors. Um, <laughs> I've, I've been hurt before. Let me have this. <laughs> Uh, you gotta Joel, watch him. You gotta watch him. Joe admitting that he wanted to be a singer and the whole line with respect to it and her basically saying, I'm gonna save the fucking world, man. It's the least you can do is give me a song. It's hilarious. Uh, and the last line of where Ellie begging over Joel's body, Joel, open your eyes, open your eyes, you gotta get up. I can't fucking do this without you. I don't know where the fuck I'm, what, where the fuck I'm going, where the fuck I'm gonna do. Joel, please, Joel, please. God, it hurts. God, it's rough. God, it is just bringing back unpleasant memories. It's a hell of a moment. All bringing bringing perfect, black unpleasant memories. All with all with the perfect re- return of the song uh, "Never Let Me Down Again" by Depeche Mode, which is just a perfect harkening back to the beginning of their journey. Great stuff. Why? Why is it bringing back unpleasant memories? Is that because because of the game you played? Because no, I'm not game. saying anything at all. I don't know what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, it's because yeah. you had to be from the game. You so you slipped there. You slipped a little bit. No. Um, all right. This is a more dialogue heavy episode. We've had some episodes that did not have great candidates for best line of the episode. There was probably seven lines that are worthy of best line of the episode here. Can you give me two? Can you give me two favorites? Um, Winner, sure. Runner up? Sure. I mean, I think that um, Maria as the runner up saying that basically the, oh, I, I don't have it right in front of me, but it's when she says the only people who can hurt you are the people you trust. I think that's, indicative of the mindset that a lot of people have had to adopt in this society. It's why I was talking about my, the sort of like pain (laughs) I feel whenever Joel sees random strangers and he has to pull his gun out. You know, it's this idea that like, we can't trust anybody every, you know, the second we start trusting somebody, they're going to steal our shit. They're going to take things away from us. They're going to abuse us. They're going to hurt us. They're going to kill us. And that's what this world's devolved into. So it's a very knowing line and it's important for the philosophy of a lot of characters. However, the winner, because I just loved it, even though it's so heartbreaking, is Joel talking to Tommy Mm -hmm. when he says, I can't remember, but when I wake up, I've lost something. I'm failing in my sleep. That's all I do. That's all I've ever done is fail her again and again. Because I think if I'm correct, Mm -hmm. This is Joel's swan song. Joel is saying goodbye this episode. And he's explaining what has driven him for all these years. And then we have this really great reference to a her that we can sit and ponder what he means by that. So charged line, knowing line, but also, you know, one that that generates a lot of discussion. So best line of the episode, that's it. If you're correct that this is Joel's swan song, that he's never going to see Tommy again, is his last act then to fail? 
did he fail Ellie here? Well, she's not dead. She is not dead. He fought off the attacker. He got her to the destination. Yeah. I mean, I think failure for him very immediately is the safety of personal safety, physical safety of Ellie. And she, she is still alive. I don't think Ellie's going to die anytime soon. So yeah, I think maybe he succeeded in a weird way. Okay. Uh, familiar moments of the episode. Shall we? Woo. Familiar moments of the episode right off the bat, right off the gate. Let's just put it on the table, Spencer. Mm-hmm. It's got to be the old couple at the beginning, right? Uh, old couple is such just relationship goals, just God, relationship damn. values. It's like, they're perfect. I, Desperately, Bridget and I get old. I want. We're already pretty close to that, but let's keep that going for another forty years, dear. Yeah, that's a. That, yeah, it does seem like a very healthy relationship. You know, <laughs> which that looks so different when when people have been together fifty years. I mean, yeah. it just it just necessarily going to look and sound different. And they did they did a great job of representing that. I think that's great. We got a lot of a lot of Tommy. And Joel stuff that Tommy is worthy of it. Stuff, it. Them just speaking honestly with each other, just letting down the many fences by, under, behind which they hide themselves is just great. I mean, it is their relationship is deep as a deep dark river, and it has so many different little channels in it. It is it, it's wonderful to see it spread displayed on the screen. It's not the segment isn't emotional high of the episode. If it was emotional high of the episode for me, it would have been Joel doing the, the face turn, what we call a face turn in wrestling mm-hmm. back to, yes, I am going to go with you, Ellie. I'm stealing this horse. Me and you are going to go. That's the emotional high for me of the episode. Cause ultimately at the core of this episode, what I care about is Joel and Ellie. Sure. But that's not what we termed the segment. We termed it familial moment of the episode. And I can't get past the old couple at the beginning. I think that wins. I think runners up have to be Joel and Tommy and maybe just even the banter, growing banter between Ellie and Joel and the growing trust between them, or even just the moment. Maybe him teaching her to shoot her teach him, teaching her him, teaching her to shoot and her refusing to put down her gun until Joel said that that she should do it. I think, I think fall in, but I think familiar about the episode ultimately just has to be the old couple because I hope upon our audience that you find somebody that you can be old and crotchety with like that in the future. All right. Well, I think that's our familial moment of the episode. I'm going to sit back. I'm going to kick back. My job's done here. Taking my shoes off. Relaxing. Spencer's taking over the segment. Our in-house counsel is going to talk to us a little bit about ethical questions posed by the episode. I'm going to ask the questions, but as always, sir, I'm going to ask you to answer them. So don't rest too much on your laurels. Oh, well, I can always talk, but I don't have to set the agenda. Well, in terms of going through, let's go roughly in order throughout the episode from minor to more, you know extreme later uh point number one asking for directions at gunpoint joe and ellie basically for a moment kidnap an old couple who have no frame of reference other than correctly reading the situation to know whether they are actually at threat or not where do you stand on the ethics of doing this does this tap into the general distrust by which joe interacts with every person in the uh the apocalyptic world in which they operate in oh yeah, he's right in doing it. It's, I mean, it, I, I don't, so Joel's distrust of people is really, really sad to me that the world has gotten to this point. But we have gotten independent verification that he is not the only person who, who treats everybody else this way. And we've also gotten independent verification through multiple different interactions that he is right in suspecting most people want to eat his lunch. So 
yeah, I think he's doing the right thing. I hate it that he has to. I hate it that he has to be this way. But I think the way that he approached that old couple is the only way to do it. Now, we've already discussed that Ellie stealing the rabbit is utterly indefensible and that she's going to hell for it. So we won't address that one again. Uh, Gotta braise it with some coke. Gotta braise it with some poke potatoes. Indeed, indeed. Uh, brutality as a warning. We see this community runs in the idea that to maintain their secrecy, to maintain their protection, they need to appear to be the bad guys. And including that means being exceptionally brutal and callous and cruel to their enemies and leaving signs that they were. Where do you stand on the ethics of doing that? To, to do Im- what could be dubbed immoral or at least cruel things for the purpose of scaring off worst people. Is that justifiable? So, um, I think a lot of people are going to tell you it's not. I think a lot of people listening to this are going to tell you, oh, no, you shouldn't do that. That's bad. But I think anybody who believes that our criminal justice system is set up to punish and therefore prevent deter and prevent crimes if you think that our criminal justice system is a deterrent to crime as opposed to rehabilitation of criminals then i think that you ipso facto have to buy in at least somewhat to the logic of dumping the dead bodies out there because it's the same the same fucking mindset gets you there i personally don't believe in a deterrent criminal justice system i Get my Tolkien on here. I think everybody can be redeemed, should have a shot at redemption. Jail should only be to rehabilitate people, not abject punishment, torture. That's just my personal opinion. So, no, I'm not for dumping the dead bodies outside as a deterrent for anybody else to commit these crimes. But, you know, I, I think that, that that most people would tell you, I don't like this. I don't feel good about it. But I think when you start to dig into the logic about how we – punish criminals and why we punish criminals and the way we do it most people probably already follow this logic to some extent is it telling then that the main person we see espousing this philosophy is a former district uh, assistant district attorney absolutely because i think that she she participated in a system that you know punishes as a form of deterrent mm-hmm. they, they, you know deter people from crime and so you know she's you know in her mind you know, people coming in and trying to to get into their, you know, wall, take their stuff, et cetera, is a crime that should be punishable. So she punishes it. She makes it obvious what the punishment is to try to deter other people from doing it. How is that fundamentally different from you have somebody who drives drunk, hits somebody, kills them, and you put them in a prison that does zero rehabilitation, zero mm-hmm. education, zero anything mm-hmm. for 30 years or something in an effort to try to send the signal to anybody else who might be thinking about getting behind the wheel drunk that you shouldn't do it. How's that any different? And I think it's a, good, it's a good, good point of comparison. As you noted, specifically with respect to this world and how they're operating, if you're going to choose to kill somebody anyway, I don't see any particular problem with making with 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 using it to your further benefit. The guy's dead; he's not going to care. And if the old people are any example, it seems that their efforts are working to ensure a certain measure of self-imposed or at least self-scoped isolation for their community. Right, but I think that, that you know Ellie's point is: is that really the right thing to do? Because now you got these ninety-year-olds out there living alone that you that, that are scared to interact with you, who are good people. Who have good, who have skills that could be useful to the community. I think they're okay with collateral damage. It seems there be there be their philosophy here, which also is something to analyze in the context of criminal justice reform too. Uh, last one here on our list. Then priorities in the apocalypse. Joel browbeats Tommy on the subject of yeah, you're making a family. Yeah, you're doing this whatever else. But Ellie's immune. 
In some ways, he's almost emphasizing that that's more important. That's the gateway to everything. That should take precedence over your family or your concerns or your hopes. Oh, we're life. back to the conversation from last episode. And I want to I want, I want to reiterate again in this context, where do you stand in terms of the position that Joel is expounding, which is in some ways he's adhering to what Tess was telling him previously. It is more important than your family. <laughs> it is. I mean, you know, if, if she – so Tommy believes Joel. That's an important part. He does. He's got to believe her. But if he believes Joel that she really is immune and they've never even heard of somebody immune to it before, mm-hmm. then they do need to get her in front of the right people somehow. Whoever is left, whatever scientist is left, whoever part of what if our flies, federal government, whatever it is, who's actually doing work on this thing still, they have to get her in front. And that is more important than your upcoming baby, your wife, even this little gated community you've got here. In my opinion, I think it is now. Going back to the same thing we said last episode, it's fully understandable that people wouldn't act that way because their emotions take over and they're pre-programmed historically to protect their family. So I can see why Tommy would be battling this and it would be very difficult for him. But ultimately, my opinion, the right move is to prioritize the potential cure. What do you think? I fundamentally from like a utilitarian point of view think that if this is the not even hail mary if this utilitarian learn what that is in college look at that yeah john stuart mill right in elementary school um so it was right there with the hobbit <laughs> uh I, man, I agree with you that this is, a, this is a circumstance of where if this is something you believe is real if this is something you think could actually work then from a pure like net benefit to the world, net potential benefit to the world, this is something you're going to have to fight for. You almost have to be willing to sacrifice for. That you have to double down on because this may never happen again. This may be a once in a lifetime, a once in a forever opportunity. That's worth taking risks. That's worth expending costs. That's worth seeing where it goes because. I mean, Ellie brings up, you know, what, what, what what's going to happen afterwards, how, how are they going to distribute it, whatever else. But to ever even be able to ask those questions of what the world will be like after this, kind of have to give it a chance to see where it goes. Completely agree. And it's I mean, obviously really difficult, right? Like, I mean, it's, all, it's you're asking a lot to ask a parent to prioritize this thing that does not, it does not have 100% certainty of success. Mm-hmm. It's a leap of faith to a certain extent. But it's the only chance you have that anyone knows of. I mean, I've not heard of any anybody else in any part of this world that we've been exposed to that he even has a lead on some sort of fix for what's plaguing the world. So if she's at least a lead, I think you have to you have to go down that hole. I agree. We'll see where it goes. Uh, All right. So that is it for Ethical Questions of the Week. That is it for our segment. Spencer, any concluding thoughts before we wrap up here on episode six of The Last of Us? I I thought this was a wonderful episode. I enjoyed it from start to finish. I laughed. I chuckled. I smiled. More combined in this episode than I've done in the other one, than I've done pretty much outside of episode three. I mean, there's a lot of comparisons here, I think, for episode three in terms of there were no infected. There were no real infected. It wasn't the focus. It was more about human interactions. It was more about seeing, you know, their journey and how they connect with each other. And I loved it for it. I thought this is prestige television that is showing off at this point. Yeah. I I thought, again, you know, I I can only just make the point that they've picked a genre. They've, they've picked a story I don't care about. And they, from that position have slowly made me care 
over each episode. This is a really good episode of television. There are some timeline issues. There's some things you can nitpick. There are some things they rush toward the back end of the episode. It's not a perfect hour of television, Mm -hmm. but it is really good. And I think that they, you know, one of the points I keep hearing from people who like this show is that the show's sort of raising the bar on television of like, hey, if you're going to do something, at least do it well. Oh, yeah. You know, and and that's what this show's doing. I think it's doing a really good job of that. So shout out to the show. I'm I'm looking forward to what the last three episodes are going to be. It looks like we're going to get at least one flashback episode. So um, we may have to let it ride, as they would say in uh, the casinos, for another couple of weeks to figure out if Joel's really alive or not. Is the chicken driving a stock car now at NASCAR? Yeah, I don't know what what would be the right even uh, analogy now. I think it would be maybe like the I don't know. The fastest Toyota on an ash track, <laughs> knowing that, Toyotas don't that, normally win. That Corolla like is at least a, it's at least right a, it's at least a race car now. It's just not <laughs> not not Ford or Chevy. Uh, okay, all right. So that's it for our episode this week. Thanks, Spencer. Enjoyed it as always. If you're enjoying this podcast, can't imagine you got two hours and thirty minutes into us reviewing a fifty minute episode of television. If you don't like hearing us talk, if you do, please subscribe, rate, review. We like to read your reviews. So please jump on whatever podcast platform you're on. Let's say you're on Apple. Just go to your Apple podcast app, type in your review, give us five stars, uh, type in your review. We'd love to hear from you. Hear what you like, hear what you don't like, hear what we could do better. All that stuff we really enjoy. You can always go to mangumtalks.com, www.mangumtalks.com to find all of our stuff, all the different shows that we review. When we are done with this show, We are going to jump right into Succession, March 24th, Succession. Spencer and I will be reviewing it over on the Line of Succession podcast feed. If you're not subscribed to that, you can go over now. Podcast is active. We've reviewed the first three seasons. Go to Line of Succession. Spencer and I will be reviewing Succession week by week, and that'll probably take us into the summer. So thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll be back with you next week for Episode 7 of The Last of Us.